Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, a bi-weekly show that is released every other Friday. This is episode four. On Horror Movie Podcast, you're going to hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and this is another Frankensteinian episode where we've hodgepodge together a number of different recordings that we've recorded at different times. In this show, Dr. Shock and I are going to give you our review of the new Maniac remake starring Elijah Wood. And Wolfman Josh and I are going to bring you our review of Grabbers, which is this fun little creature feature from the UK. And Doc Shock and I are also going to spend some time answering some listener feedback, which takes us in all sorts of directions. So be prepared for some serious tangents there. And of course, Wolfman Josh and I are bringing you our Destroy All Monsters and Beastly Freaks segments for you tonight. So uh, get ready for episode four of Horror Movie Podcast. What do you do exactly? I take pictures of mannequins. I try to bring them to life. Would you like to see my work? I think you're incredibly talented. The mages have found the last true romantic. I don't know about all that. All right, so we're going to kick off this episode. We're going to get underway here with... uh, Jay of the Dead here and my main man, Dr. Shock. So thanks for joining me tonight on this Frankensteinian episode. <laughs> no, hey, it's 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 a pleasure. Um, I'm glad to uh glad to be a part of it. Did you hear the last one, Dave, how it turned out and everything? Episode three. I I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to hear it yet, but I know um I heard I've heard feedback on it. Okay, yeah, me I've too. I've heard how good you know, it's just one of those things I don't I don't often get a chance to listen to uh, the podcast anymore with work. And, and when I do, I don't usually listen to the ones I'm a part of, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I'm kind of the same way. But um, that last one, I just wondered, and it sounds like people are okay with it, but I wondered what people would think of just all this train wreck. <laughs> like, we just put stuff together. And what was funny, and I just wanted to mention this to the listeners, a lot of mine were kind of recorded like this. And so the next part was like, the, and I'm whispering, right? And, and and they probably think, why is that weirdo whispering? And it's just that sometimes I, the only time literally I had to record was when my family was asleep. So I had to kind of be quiet. So if I, if you ever hear me in future episodes, like whispering, like a weirdo, then that's why. So anyway, I'm sorry. That's probably lame, but that's. Uh, no, I understand. It's the best we can do, right? Exactly. You know what? It's, it's something. We're putting something out there. That's a big thing, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's our promise every other Friday. So um, let's kick it off tonight with a review we'll do together of the new Maniac remake from uh, 2013 here starring Elijah Wood. Do you want to give some background on that, Dave, and tell them what it's about? All right. Uh, Frank, he's played by Elijah Wood. Uh, well, he's a serial killer. And... Uh, he, this is a lot, it's a lot, of, it has a lot of, it's follows along the same premise of the original, the 1980 film, um, except it, well, we'll get into how the differences, but anyway, Frank is a serial killer. Uh, he murders women, he scalps them, and then he uh, attaches 
their scalps, these mannequins that he has with him that he that he keeps in. And then what it is is he he works with mannequins. He restores them almost as if they're antiques. That's what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after he attaches these these scalps to them, he treats them as if they're alive, as if they became these women that he had just killed. Uh, well, one day he encounters this uh, photographer. She's outside his shop taking pictures. Her name is Anna. Uh, and over time, he starts to fall in love with her. And he tries to strike up, uh, you know, sort of a romance with her. But he has this other life. And, you know, the, the whole idea is, will he be able to control these impulses? Um, or is Anna destined to just be another one of his victims? Nice. Well done. Okay. And just asking you here. So I know that you, you're you a pretty big fan of the 1981, right? The original? Absolutely. Yes. No, definitely. Yeah, we, I am a fan of that. We both love that William Lustig one. It's, it's one of... I, it, it for me it's one of my favorite 80 slashers actually and i i just love it for that purpose but um so I, even though you love that so much and i know that you're not always particularly a remake guy so how did you feel when this remake came along you, you know what it, it's it's funny that i don't for me the, these movies um uh, the original and this one they are enough there there's some big differences here you know, mm-hmm. this is not what I would call like a direct remake type of movie. I mean, every remake, they try to do something a little bit different with the original material. Yeah. Here, though, I think they did something incredibly original. They, they It's told almost entirely from the first person, you know, like like a point of view of Frank. Yes. Um, the majority of film is shot like we're looking through his eyes. Um, and so we're there with him as he's stalking these women. I mean, you know, with with William Lustig, there's this, there's this. Every time I think of that movie, I think of the scene where where he's stalking the one woman in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and he's going through. And here we're seeing what he sees, so we're there the whole time, and it it adds a real sort of uh, uh, creepy uh, level to it because you know what it's. It's uh, movies about serial killers can be unsettling enough. Sure. Um, but when we're looking through their eyes, when we're actually the ones murdering these these women, you know, like a uh, scene where he's strangling this one woman, and we're we're there watching her last gasps. Um, that that's even that just takes it up another level. In oh my, my goodness! Yeah, are you talking about the one in the original there that that strangling or the? Oh, well, the one in the original, but the one in this one also yeah. was seeing the last breaths. I mean, and we're looking like through through his eyes, seeing Absolutely. what he sees as he does this. I get you. And that is, um, that makes, that's even more unsettling, I think. And it's super. Than, than, than pulling back and watching it like in a sort of a third person. Yeah, because you're more removed. But yeah, it's so interesting because a, a couple of points on this, Dave. Number one, like that subjective point of view from the heavy breathing killer. I mean, that came in really heavily more in the 1970s and it became kind of a slasher convention where every once in a while in a slasher film, you'll see, you know, fr- from that subjective point of view. The, the other right. part of that that's interesting to me is that um, Hitchcock loved to do that where he would put you in a subjective point of view like when Norman Bates is, you know, peeping through that hole in Psycho. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and he loves to like, you know, implicate us. And so this is cool because they, they join those two things where you're in the serial killer's shoes for one thing and and it's kind of like a, a nod or a celebration of the slasher cinema. 
Right. So that that's impressive. I, I yeah, loved it, it. It was, and then it. But the way the, the the clever ways that we did get to see Elijah Wood too, like looking into a mirror, right. or you know, passing by a window or something like that, when we actually did see his face, which, which is a risky move, right? Because they actually got a name star, a pretty big star. I mean, this is Frodo Baggins right here, and right, and right. so to not use his face as much as they possibly could was a little bit of a, a risky move, but I, I think they pulled it off. Now, what I wanted to ask you, Dave, there was a, there was one scene where it's almost like, I don't know if he had an out-of-body experience, but it's almost like they cheated and broke that convention, and we had a third-person perspective. What Do you do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, it was um, the one that took place uh, in that, uh, what was it, almost like a parking lot? Right, so what... Where he had locked her, and it's funny because that also is one of the more violent scenes in the movie yeah so what do you think they were doing there because i'm like oh did they just mess up because obviously obviously they did this on purpose and they wouldn't slip past them so why do you think they did that almost it's it's almost as if that's a good question it's almost as if he was for that moment sort of looking out looking back in on himself is what i was thinking you know okay that uh, that just um committing this i mean and and like i said that one it's you didn't even see that much you saw some blood and it was definitely bloody but to see the, the you actually see like and hear the the stabbing sounds and it's just repeated um that was the way i looked at it it was, it was almost like for that moment he had just sort of gone out of himself and he was looking back in you know because yeah you get those scenes where he's talking to himself uh, much like in the original um, and he's holding these conversations. That's how I looked at it. That, that that for that moment he was outside looking in. I like it. At what he was doing. Yeah, that's interesting. Good theory. I, I'm I'm with you. I buy that. Because <laughs> they're right. That that's it. That's the only time. That's the only time where they sort of break that, where the camera pulls back and and lets us know that hey, okay, now we're now you know we're going to see the whole thing as you normally would in these kind of movies. And, and let's know. let's clarify too for the listeners because what's interesting about it is when it started I'm like okay is this because I don't have a problem with found footage by the way I I don't I actually love no, found footage I, but it's, I don't have a problem with it either it doesn't feel I mean at first you're like okay is this going to be kind of like a found footage film then because found footage is all subjective point of view as well mm-hmm. but for me it doesn't really feel like a found footage the same way because it's there's not all the shaky cam and stuff it's still pretty steady it's pretty steady and it's not and it's really not found footage either because this is not anybody taking this footage right this is inside his head you know this is not something anybody could possibly find exactly yeah but i'm just saying like yes i know what you mean similar like the um as far as the style yeah and the point of view there like he goes running and the camera goes running along with him and it's like shaking all over the place no it's it's certainly nothing like that as a matter of fact it's it's fairly you get a you get little bits and pieces of that but almost along the lines of like what uh uh, is it Paul Greengrass would do with his movies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know the, where uh, that guy's where, a shaky, shaky bastard. That guy. <laughs> well, he can be, but he can be. But you know what I mean? Those that's been his style from from the start. Sure. And you yeah. go back to back to his movies well before there was even found footage. That was the way he was shooting movies. <laughs> right. Um. And for me, they're never. That's never a distraction with his movies. They, that never bothers me watching his films. Gotcha. Um. And in this one. Yeah, it, it, I didn't get that feeling at all. You know, this was, I thought it was very professional. Nice. Okay. 
All right. And um, so what did you think? Uh, did you think that Elijah Wood was able to pull off this role? Because in the first one, I mean, you had Joe Spinell and um, that guy was that guy, incredible. He, he had the look of a serial killer almost, <laughs> you know, just the like he sort of he really fit that role. Um, and Elijah Wood, you know, you think he's a little more polished. And then a lot of people think of me. They think of me as a child actor. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, he was, uh, like you said, he was Frodo in uh, The Lord of the Rings. So it'd be a little bit more difficult. But you know what? He, he, he did. I mean, he has more of a, uh, a pretty boy look to him, but yet he still, I think, had that uh, edge. And you know what? He, he, he is an actor who has that. I mean, because I, I was thinking back, you know, and everyone's saying they, they, they can't picture him in this part. I thought back to this, that brief little uh the brief little appearance he made in Sin City. Oh, yeah. Where, where he played just the, the, this sort of gruesome character. Right. And, and he was excellent in that. And that was, that was just a, 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 you know, a very brief little uh, portion of that movie, <laughs> but yet a very memorable portion of that movie. And he was the reason why. That's a good um, point. And he, I think, so he, did ha- he has that quality to him where he can do it. And I think he was fine in this. You know, I mean, some people may not have been able to look past, oh, well, you know, it's Frodo, whatever. But as far as his performance goes, I think he I think he did a great job. Yeah, I think it was passable. It's almost, I mean, no, I, I don't want to say passable. I think it was good. But mm-hmm. I do want to say I, it's kind of an unfair comparison. I mean, because I think a lot of people, at least I am, I'm really attached to the the original film, of course, and the Joe mm-hmm. Spinell character. I mean, he his Frank Zito was just... It was great to me. And so for me, it's like, oh, that's going to be a tough act to follow. Oh, he was. There's and, no doubt about it. Joe Spinell was great. And of course, Joe Spinell had the added advantage that he also wrote the screenplay. Right. And, you know, he was a really big guy, too. I mean, yes, he was. It's kind of he big. was physically. They're they're both very you know different. But but you know what Elijah had on him, though, was the good looks because he is good looking. It makes more sense that the women would be kind of drawn or attracted to him because in the in the original, it's funny because he's kind of like this ladies man. And it's like, you know, I'm not seeing that from this now, guy's appearance, you know, but the- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Joe Spinell, a lot of people will, will, will know even if you've never seen Maniac, uh, this guy had a, a role in um, The Godfather, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a brief part in The Godfather. Um, and he was in uh, Rocky. Uh, he played sort of the, the, uh, the, the gangster type that Rocky was working for in the first movie toward yes. the beginning of that movie. So, um, you know, you've definitely seen Joe Spinell before, even if you haven't seen the original maniac. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but you're right. He, he was, uh, he had the, he had the look, the bearing and, <laughs> you, you know, this guy, you could look at him and say, wow, yeah, this guy could be a serial killer, but you're right. He would not be what you would call a classic, uh, ladies man. Sure, sure. So yeah, I mean, for those so for those who were worried about Elijah Wood, he pulls off the role. I mean, he's no yes. Joe Spinell, but I mean, who 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 can be? I mean, who would expect right. him to be? So so for that, that was passable too. So how about the how about the kills, Dave? Talk about that. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, we get one pretty early on. Um, that's sort of a a, a shock. <laughs> you know, I, at least it shocked me. <laughs> um, where he's sort of following this girl and, and um, he, you know, he, he gives us a, and she sees him there. Like she had seen him originally and she got sort of nervous and she ran off. 
So he ended up following her and, and then causing this blackout in her apartment. So she had to walk to her apartment in the dark. And then he sort of comes up behind her um, and, and says she's beautiful. And, and there's just this sort of brief, I guess we could talk about this. It's like the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's the curtain um, just, razor. Exactly. Just a, just a knife right up through the bottom of the chin, right up through the top of the head. Um, sort of a precursor of what's to come. I mean, even the ones that aren't violent or difficult to watch, like yeah. um, the, the the strangling. Oh yeah, where, where he strangles this one girl, and and it's it's tough to watch, but it's not exactly you know a, a very violent scene. Um, but this one, I think, matched. Uh, this one had some some incredible, uh, you know, some very gory scenes in it. Yeah, it was pretty brutal, pretty full on. In fact, I'm on, you know, the other my movie, my regular movie podcast, Movie Podcast Weekly. My uh, co-host on there saw it, and my friend Andy, he's somewhat of a horror fan. I wouldn't say he's like us, but he, it was like kind of too much for him. He thought it was, he thought it was too brutal. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I thought they were good, and and like the, for example, the 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 peeling on the scalp, the scalp mm-hmm. scenes, yes, are like horrific. But the only they are. The, the only, only thing I the only thing I would say about that is they came off a little easily. Yeah, that's true because that <laughs> I, I understand. I've never scalped anybody, but I, understand I never that. have either. But, but I can, that's I very hard imagine to do. That it wouldn't just take a, a slice here, a slice there, and then you're pulling the top of their head <laughs> off. <laughs> but I tell you, there's one thing that I really missed. But I've got mixed feelings. I didn't know if I would want them to attempt it before. But there's the the shotgun blowing the head apart from the original one, which was like <laughs> one of Tom Savini's best ever and and i i was and i th- I think i'm glad that i think a that might be one of the reasons why they didn't respect huh try to re- try to repeat it because it was tom savini um you know and it was one of his best effects so i think maybe they sort of avoided that one yeah um yeah so as a fan i have to say i respect the filmmakers for for not attempting it or just leaving it alone because yeah we, i mean that could have never measured up. I no, can't see and how it, they- and it would and doing it from the first person. Uh, part of what made that scene work was you kind of spent a little time with, um, <laughs> you know, with the Tom Savini character, and and all this time it would have just been the character jumping up and blowing a random person away. Right, right. You know, and I, that wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have had. It wouldn't have had the weight that the original scene had. And and I don't know. Like you said, I don't know if they could have pulled it off. The way Tom Savini did, and then so I think it was sort of a combination of the two. A, it just wasn't going to work in the environment they'd built for this movie, and and B, it had already been done. I think as well as it could be done in the original, you weren't going to improve on it. Yeah, that was a great point. Now I know that you're a, a film historian, and mm-hmm. um, there was a line in this film that I totally disagreed with, and I bet you would too. Um, it, it, at one point they they go to see the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and and I think she said one of the characters said something like this was considered the first horror movie, but that is, that is false. Do do you agree with that? I mean, that to me, I don't, I don't see it as being considered the first horror movie. Well, it's, it's definitely one of the first, I mean, now, I mean, Thomas Edison made a version of Frankenstein, right. You know, back in 19. Oh, something. I can't even remember what it was, but uh, I, I don't know that, the cat, and I think the cabinet of Dr. Caligari did predate Nosferatu. Yeah, it was nineteen twenty, and yeah, so it, it's it's. I do, yeah. I mean, yes, I do consider the cabinet of Dr. Caligari a horror movie, at least in, in the vein that um, uh, that's what it was intended to be. Right. 
You know, um, as far as uh, the first, no. I mean, there there were some. I mean, um, uh, who, who was that? Uh, oh, the, uh, you gonna talk about the French guy, Melee? Yeah, George yeah, George Melee. He 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 made a. Uh, um, I think he made what was considered the very first horror movie. Yeah, that's who I was thinking too, because he did dabble in horror. And you know what's funny about him is he <laughs> he actually made some nudie pics. He did all kind of stuff, sci-fi. That guy was a genius. <laughs> they did, yeah. He he was he did a lot of things. Um, and he really he really was a genius. You're right. I mean, you watch some of those movies now, and you're wondering how the hell he did some of that stuff. <laughs> Seriously, I know. Yeah, that's amazing. But anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up. So, so uh, Dave, you got any other thoughts, final thoughts on the Maniac remake? Um, uh, not much to add as, as to what we already um, were talking about. I do think that um, uh, they, they delved a little bit more, I think, this time into the background with the mother. Yeah. I think they explained that a little bit more this time around. Yeah. And I liked the performance of the girl who played Anna. Yeah. Nora, what is it? Nora uh, Arna Zader, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she did a good job in this. And you could definitely see why he was he would fall for her. I thought she was beautiful. And I thought she, you know, had a had a very uh, uh, strong personality. Right. And that I'll- I think it would be easy to become attracted to her. Yeah. And really all of the actresses in this were, yeah, very attractive. And yes. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a... <laughs> It was a nice movie in that regard, but um. So and then the one thing I did notice, some people did have a little bit of a of of a problem with, is the use of the song. There's a, when he um he he has a blind date with this girl. He meets her on the internet through an internet dating site. He hooks up with her, and it really kind of adds just a sort of uh, a, just shows you how frightening those things can be sometimes because you just don't know who you're talking to when you get into these chat rooms on these uh, sort of. Um, you know, dating sites. But anyway, he ends up going and she, she's like really coming on strong to him and she puts on a record and it's Goodbye Horses, the song that uh, Buffalo Bill had danced to in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they thought, some people thought that that was a little bit, uh, they, that pushed it a little bit too much. That almost took it out of the realm of, um, you know, it was a little bit too much of a nod. Yeah. Um, well, where is the line on that, though, Dave? I mean, like, where do we stop respecting the respect that was given in a nod or an homage, yeah. or or and when do we start complaining? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, exactly. I personally, it didn't it didn't bother me. I mean, I recognized the song right away. Right. Um, you know, and it's not just from that. I know. I know that uh, <laughs> Kevin Smith had done something. I think it was in Clerks too. I think he had, <laughs> he had done something with that song also. Um, but. Uh, it, it didn't bother me as much, and I know why they were doing it. You know, obviously, Silence of the Lambs is one of the, uh, I think, one of the top serial killer movies of all time. Yes. Um, and so I understand why they why they had used that song. For some people, it was just sort of pushing it a little too far. It didn't bother me that much. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I just want. I just wondered what you thought about that. So, okay. So, where do you come in at ratings on Maniac then? I would probably give it, uh, I'd probably give it, um, and this is out of 10, I would give it an 8, 8 to an 8.5, I think. Okay. And I would, it's definitely one you should, you should pick up. And you know what? The Blu-ray is very inexpensive. I mean, I picked up this Blu-ray, it was about $10. Nice. That's, that's a good deal. So, but if somebody kind of, um, put gun to your head or whatever, would you, 
what would you pin it down at? Eight or eight point five? I would say eight point five. Okay, eight point five. That's awesome. I love it that you said that because that's actually exactly what I gave it to. Eight eight point five out of ten. And I even though it is it's currently streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly. So mm-hmm. Just for the record, you know, so so at the time of the release of this episode, people could watch it streaming, but I think it's a buy for sure. Oh, definitely. And I would I would actually put this right there with, you know, the original was definitely a buy for me as well. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that was and I think I had mentioned um, when we did this on. Um, uh, was it on Horror Metropolis? It or was the weekly horror. It was the I weekly, think it was we- weekly horror that we did this. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it, it was uh, episode six, and you gave the original a nine and yes. said buy it. And Definitely, I, and I, I would put it in my top ten as far as slasher movies from the eighties. Totally, and I and I gave the original a nine point five and said buy it on that yeah. episode. So yeah, and, and I would put this. I would say you know this. I think both of them should be in your collection. This isn't an either or because I think both movies give you an entirely different experience. Right, and yeah, and they're and I don't think they step on each other's toes or anything no. like that. I think they're um, both just great, great movies. I agree. Kill her, Mommy. Kill her. She can't hide. No place to hide. Get her, Mommy. Get her. Kill her. Kill her. Kill her. Kill her. Kill her. Kill her. That clip you just heard was from Sean S. Cunningham's Friday the 13th from 1980. Okay, for this episode's Beastly Freaks segment, I've got to give a big shout out here to my friend Mangloid because this pick, this pick actually came from her. Uh, Mangloid left a comment that said, Jay, I also have a recommendation for your Beastly Freaks segment that you might enjoy that could also easily fall under the guilty pleasures category as well. It's 1983's The Deadly Spawn. While most of the movie suffers from bad acting, the creature certainly makes up for its flaws. And um, i tell you what, I checked out The Deadly Spawn and I'm so glad I did. So thank you very much for recommending this, Mangloid. I really enjoyed it. The Deadly Spawn is one of those old school low-budget indie horror gems that I think a lot of people probably at the time in 1983 probably dismissed it as kind of a a bad B-movie. Or maybe, I don't know. I don't know if people liked it or not, but that's what I suspect. And I think either people now don't know about it or they would probably disregard it still. And especially since at this point it's dated. But I'm here to tell you guys, I think The Deadly Spawn is special okay now as it opens it's one of those movies that gives you some serious doubts in the beginning so if you rent this because of this recommendation don't turn it off you know within the first 10 minutes because you're going to be tempted to because that's how i felt too but i tell you it, it gets better so it starts out and you see this huge meteorite blazing through the sky. It's actually not a meteorite till it hits the earth, right? So it's a meteor. Anyway, <laughs> this movie and uh, Grabbers as well, which is another one we're going to talk about later in this episode, they start out the same way. So right off the bat, you know that what you have here is a beastly freak that's from outer space. So it's of the alien variety. 
And the movie starts out and the actors are not only plain and unattractive looking, but there's something actually a little gross or repulsive about them. I'm sorry. That sounds terrible. I'm not trying to attack these people because I'm not necessarily the best looking guy in the world, but I'm just saying there's just something about them. I don't know if it's like they look greasy or what, because they wake up and it's just, it's weird. So anyway, most of the Deadly Spawn takes place in this one house. And honestly, you guys, this house is terrible. It looks, and I'd, I'd bet money this is what happened. It looks like the filmmakers just went to one of their grandmothers and just asked to borrow her house for the afternoon. <laughs> And they shot it there in her house exactly how it was. and Because that's exactly what this house looks like. It's it's great. But so, yeah, mostly in this one house and specifically in the basement. Because the, the alien creature gets into the basement and then it starts picking off the inhabitants as they wander downstairs. And so, um, I kind of like how this taps into those fears of the monster in the cellar. And I got one of these um, Monsters in the Basement movies coming up for you within the next couple of episodes, so watch for that. But anyway, this, um, just as Mangloid said here, the creature effects are very cool, and this movie is all practical effects, and it uses some models and miniatures there, and I will say, when it tries to go for the gore, and it does try to go into the gore, I'm here to tell you, I mean, we're not talking about... Tom Savini stuff here. It's not his kind of work. Not by any means, but the gore effects are along the lines of like a college level artist maybe. And and I don't mean any disrespect to the makeup department or special effects crew on this movie because honestly, even though it looks fake, I still appreciate that they went for it and I appreciate how they went for it because um, they really go for it. So I'll just say that. Um, so you've got these huge phallic-shaped, worm-like, slug-like creatures. They Sometimes they make you think of leeches. And they grow into these giant growling worms that have hundreds of teeth lining the inside of their mouths. And, and the many little baby versions of these worms, that, um, of the beastly freak, actually looks like real organic creatures. So I'm not sure how they pulled that off. But it's weird. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what they use, but the little ones look real. So one of the mid-sized worms, though, that's actually the ones that I think they had the most trouble with. There's a moment when you can actually see the stick <laughs> for the puppeteering. <laughs> and that's unfortunate. But hey, this movie had like, what, a $25,000 budget or something like that. So there's a neat character in this film I want to tell you about. He's a 10-year-old boy who basically represents us, the horror fan. He's a huge horror fan. He loves it. And um, I just really loved his character because it's neat to see him in this movie because I think that the way that he reacts in the movie, it's, it's as if, you know, it's the same way that a true horror fan might behave if he or she found themselves in a real-life horror story because, let's face it, with all the movies you guys have seen out there, with all the horror films, if you were in a horror film, you'd probably act a little differently than what you see these people act in these movies because you've got some horror experience, right? I mean, don't we all know this? I mean, don't we know not to go somewhere alone, for example? I'm just saying, I know Scream riffs on that kind of thing a good bit, but um, it's interesting to me because the way this kid acts, I think, is probably how 
a true horror fan might act <laughs> in real life. So anyway, you know, aside from the rare movies like Dead Snow and Scream that I just mentioned, it's funny because the characters in horror films almost never seem to realize or or know about horror movies. It's almost like they exist in a world without any horror movies, like they've never seen one before. So that's always weird to me, but, you know, I understand it. So here's the thing. In many ways, The Deadly Spawn is a bad movie. Just like Mangloid said, I mean, she said this is along the lines of a guilty pleasure, and I would agree with that. So I'm not here to tell you that this is a horror masterpiece. But you know how it is. Like, horror movies are built a lot like, um, well, a lot like porno films, I guess. (laughs) Where, like in a porno, you wait through some boredom until you get to the quote-unquote good parts. Not that I watch porn, you guys, because I don't. But I'm just saying, I was a teenager once, so I'm just giving you that example. So let me just make a distinction right here on episode four of Horror Movie Podcast. This is, it's really time for me in the Beastly Freaks segments here to divide these into tiers. Because I would suggest that there are actually four tiers or types of Beastly Freak movies. And if you don't mind, from this point forward, I'm going to be using these tiers to help, I guess, identify what kind of movies these are, just so you have a better idea of what we're dealing with. So um, at the top, there's tier one, where you have a serious horror film with a serious monster doing some serious killing. And these are my favorites by far. This is, these are the reason why I love Beastly Freak movies. And examples of these would be Alien, The Descent, Jaws, The Thing, Cujo, etc. You know, those are my favorites. Those are serious business. And um, even though Jaws, you know, the shark didn't look incredible. Still, I mean, it was passable for a shark, right? I mean, I love Jaws. It's in my top 10. So I'm just saying these monsters look good and they're ferocious. It's all business in these movies. Okay, next, tier two. It's the next step down. And this is when the movie has some horror along with some comedy and or cheesiness but in the end overall it's still mostly a good creature feature and not too silly now i would put this might be a little controversial but i would put movies like tremors in there um even though it has a good bit of comedy but i'm just saying tremors pig hunt and rogue which is a great crocodile movie that i actually really dig i'd put those in this category And also Grabbers, which we're going to talk about later. It also has a good bit of comedy, but still overall, it's a pretty good movie. So Tier 3 is even a step below these. And this is where the movie is mostly cheesy or mostly bad. Or, you you know what I mean? It struggles in terms of story or effects or acting or its execution or all the above. But it still has enough charm for you to sit through it. And have a good time. You know, I mean, these are definitely, I would say, the guilty pleasure Beastly Freak movies. And this is exactly where a movie like The Deadly Spawn would fit in. So it's in the tier three category. And another example of this category would be like Black Sheep. Okay, (laughs) like that movie's mostly stupid. But hey, I mean, it's watchable, right? I mean, Black Sheep has some pretty crazy gore, even though it's really dumb that these sheeps, (laughs) sheeps, (laughs) 
<laughs> these sheep are eating people's faces off, you know. So anyway, um, finally, there's tier four, which is basically the unmentionables. This is the bottom rung, bottom of the barrel. And these are Josh's category as far as I'm concerned. These are the destroy all monsters types of movies where they're absolutely terrible. Uh, movies like Thanks Killing, Poultry Guys, just to name you know a couple of his recent picks. <laughs> so anyway, my goal for these Beastly Freak recommendation segments, and by the way, they're not always recommendations as I've said, but it, I'm out there to try to find the tier one movies and no tier four movies. I mean, I really don't want any tier fours to be honest with you, but as we've seen here with The Deadly Spawn, sometimes tier two and tier three, I mean, sometimes they have their merit. So I'm open to giving them a try. I mean, especially if they're a guilty pleasure like this one. So bottom line, my final verdict on The Deadly Spawn this is a low-budget indie flick. It's definitely a B-movie, which, by the way, isn't always bad. I like B-movies. But I would tell you that it's worthy. I think it's worthy of note. I think it's worthy of recognition. And I think it's worthy of being in your horror movie collection. So The Deadly Spawn from 1983, for me, it's a 7 out of 10. And I'm here to say, buy it. never have opened this place again. There's been too much trouble here. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. I was working the day that it happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. You see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. And that was another clip from Sean Cunningham's 1980 slasher trailblazer, Friday the 13th. All right, well, welcome back. I'm here again with my buddy, Dr. Shock, and we're going to talk about a little bit of listener feedback. How's that sound, Dave? Sounds good to me. All right, so um, first of all, the best way people can help this podcast is to leave a review on iTunes. And we've got two new reviews, and you guys just don't know how grateful we are. I mean... Yeah, I mean, we have a donation where you can like <laughs> donate through PayPal, and that's awesome. But to me, this is even more important because that's what helps your um. Because if if you get enough of these reviews in iTunes, then they'll like feature you, you know, on a new and noteworthy. Even though we're not all that new just yet, but you know, it's just a way to get more exposure. So anyway, this one comes from the the person who left the comment <laughs> wrote the name. His dinner is in the oven. <laughs> I love that. And the title was, It Doesn't Get Any Better. And it's five stars. It said, Bar None, the best horror podcast available. Listen to it now. Wow. What do you that's think of great. that, Dave? <laughs> that's, that's, that's incredible. That's when, when I think of all the other podcasts that are out there, and there are some very Seriously. good ones. You know, that's, that's definitely a high praise. Yeah, that's humbling. So I'm really thankful Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. And then um, this person, I, I, the name was, it's by the Antichrist. <laughs> I think <laughs> I assume that person's name's Chris. Um, the, the title is Finally, and it's another five-star one. And it says, this podcast has fantastic commentaries, personalities, and brains. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So I just wanted nice. to 
one to thank his dinner is in the oven and the anti-Chris <laughs> for, for taking the time to leave those comments. I know it's not uh, like super fun or super easy to leave a comment on iTunes. They could make it easier and they don't. Right. But um, right. thanks for they make your work for it. They definitely make your work for it. Yeah. So we doubly appreciate it. So and then um, on episode three, our most recent episode here, the one called uh, Turkey Zombies and Daniel Harris. <laughs> um, we got I'll just go down through some of these comments here. We got one from Mangloid said, hey, guys, another great show yet again. I have a recommendation for horror set in the snow. It's a Scandinavian slasher called Cold Prey. It involves a group of teens on a snowboarding trip in the mountains. They become stranded in a snowstorm under unfortunate circumstances and hold up in a rundown abandoned ski lodge. But as they hold up in the lodge, they soon realize that they're not the only ones there. Now, first of all, Dave, I just got to say, this is like my favorite kind of movie. I mean, I love Beastly Freaks, and then I love when it's like a siege narrative, when people are like stuck inside trying to keep the monsters or killers out. Oh, definitely, yeah. So, th- you. this is I, right up my alley. Oh, wow. I actually I actually own this movie. <laughs> I thought it sounded familiar. And I, I you know what? It's, it's funny because it, I, it's one that I had bought, uh, used um, from Go Hastings. They have these sales sometimes where you can get used uh, uh, the DVDs fairly cheaply. And I haven't watched it yet. But you know what? Now I'm going to have to. Well, i tell you what we'll do. Because... Um, Here's what happened, and there's more to this comment, but when, when Mangloid first left this comment, I wrote back and said, I'm, I'm going to cover it in episode four, this episode. But then Josh ended up ordering it, and it hadn't arrived for him yet. So I'll tell you what we'll do, Mangloid. Um, all three of us will cover Cold Prey for you. Does that sound good to you, Dr. Ab- Shock? Yeah, I'm in. Definitely. We'll cover that for um the very next episode, episode five. I'm sorry to um, break my promise because I, I said I'll do one and two for, for this episode. So um, at least all three of us will do the first one. And then I know I'm going to be doing the second one as well because there's a Cold Prey 2. Mm-hmm. And we'll cover that in episode five. It's going to be a pretty big episode Christmassy and so forth. Nice. <laughs> so, but thanks for that recommendation. And then he says, um, Mangloid writes, let's see, they're not the only ones there as a massive hulk of a killer is stalking them. Although this does not sound like some pretty standard slasher fare. Or he says, although this does sound like some pretty standard slasher fare, this film is so well executed with some great atmosphere and a feeling of utter dread felt as you come to grips with the dire situation that the characters are placed in. I would also consider this film series to have, dare I say, one of the most badass final girls of the slasher subgenre. <laughs> nice. And yeah, you know what? I have no problem with movies that uh, that, that that fall into that. Um, uh, what's what I'm looking for that that, that are that, you know, uh, mimic those uh, the slasher movies of the 80s because they're so much fun. I mean, I, I just have so much fun watching those slasher films um, and to see more modern updates of them. Um, totally. You know, it can be a lot of fun. Me too. I mean, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think there was one, what was it? It was um, the, the Legend of Molly. 
Oh, oh, are you talking about Mary, um, Mary the, the Hatchet? Blood, bl- yes, it blood. was Blood Knight, I think it was. Yeah, Blood Knight, the legend of Mary Hatchet. Mary yeah. Hatchet. I had fun with that. I mean, I understand some people that they weren't as uh, as into that. I really enjoyed that movie. I liked it a lot. It was a. I had heard so much high praise about it. By the time I saw it, it was a tiny bit overrated for me. Mm-hmm. But it is good. I, I give oh, you yeah. that for sure. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Mangloid, and I've been saying he, but the name is Carrie, I see in there, so I apologize about that, Carrie. <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> um, Carrie continued, A great list from Dr. Shock. I completely agree with his opinion on Kidnapped being superior to The Strangers, although I am a fan of The Strangers. I found Kidnapped to be more shocking in its progression and a climax that really stuck with me for a couple of days after my first viewing. And Definitely, abs. She uh, Carrie nailed it. Absolutely, that is how it is. Wow. You know, with um, that movie is, uh, it would rank up there. I mean, when you think of all of the the sort of um, home invasion movies, that one would have to rank, I think, in the top three of all time. Wow. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure the Strangers wouldn't rank up there too. But I would always put Kidnapped above it. Yeah, yeah. Well, The Strangers is definitely scary. I mean, when oh, yeah. when you watch that, I haven't seen Kidnapped. We were talking off air just to catch up the listeners, and I said I'm totally intrigued. Kidnapped is on my list. In fact, I believe it's currently streaming on Netflix. Watch it. It is. Yes, so, it is. So yeah, that's awesome. So you, people can watch that any time. But yeah, that's on my list now for sure. And then Carrie writes, if you guys do end up getting around to seeing Josh's recommendation of Dead Set a series I'd also highly recommend. You should maybe consider doing a themed show of reality TV set horror movies, maybe Dead Set, Slashers, and My Little Eye, all of which are pretty good flicks that share this theme. So that's that's a great idea, actually. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And then I was also pleasantly surprised to hear that Wolfman Josh is in the works on a documentary adaptation of Destroy All Movies, A Guide to Punks on Film. As a punker and a fan of the book, I really look forward to hearing more updates as the project progresses. I'll also be sure to check out his other documentary, Clean Flicks, Keep Up the Great Work, Later Days, Carrie, a.k.a. Mangloid. So just a quick word on Wolfman Josh since he's not with us right this moment. He is a legit filmmaker. I don't know if people realize that if they've seen his movies, but he does good work. And like he's gone a lot of the time and he's actually out making films whether it's like in alaska or i mean he's all over the place making films and um i've seen clean flicks and it's very interesting it's it's not a horror but i tell you if you have an interest in film or the cinema if you're a movie lover then it's an important film and you should check it out so yeah when josh said he's making a movie about something like this i'm excited about it too to be honest so it's going to be good and we'll follow up with him and those are the type of documentaries those are actually my favorite types of documentaries the ones that sort of uh, turn the camera back on um, on uh, movies themselves. Yes, um, I enjoy them. I, I, you know, one of my all time favorites is um, Z Channel, uh-huh. Magnificent Obsession. That's just a tremendous film um, and a very disturbing one, as a matter of fact, also in a lot of ways. But um, so yeah, I can't wait to see this. Well, this reminds me. This is kind of weird, and I I would love to get some feedback on this. I want to hear people's feelings on this because um. I'm not sure how this would go over, and I'm. we may still do it anyway, even if nobody writes in and says they'd love to hear it, <laughs> but, but um, here's, here's an idea I had, Dave. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it might be interesting 
even though this is a horror movie podcast, it might be interesting to do a non-horror horror movies episode where basically you're seeing movies that that aren't meant or you know meant to be horror films or in the horror genre but they're legitimately scary and then the other thing is i thought about maybe making them you know true films and i because like there are there are a few documentaries that honestly are horror films to me (laughs) like yeah so i mean i don't know if that's if people would hate that and think that's totally lame but there are a few films that josh and i were talking about that are legitimately scary. And I think that that's neat to tap into like real life fears that not only could happen, but have happened. What do you think, Dave? I think it's an awesome idea. I would definitely be, uh, you know, be part of that. I mean, one of the things I think that's great about this show is that we can, we can sort of branch off in that direction. Right. And we'll still somehow tie it back in with, uh, with horror, uh, in a way, like you're saying that just ones that are just sort of creepy. For sure. No, I, I would, I would, I definitely would be on board with that. And I want to put it out there too. I mean, just, just, just to put it out there, like you know, it's not my intent ever to water down the genre or anything like that. But we want to try. We were talking off air, and I won't spoil your surprise, Dave. We'll save it for him. But Dave has a neat idea about you know just some unusual, unconventional things that we can bring to the show that we think will be very entertaining for people. So, um, yeah, we're going to be going some interesting directions. At least we plan to. So we hope that you'll be patient and be up for a little bit of um, craziness from us. Right, Dave? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to we're just going to we're just going to try a whole bunch of different things um, with this podcast. And, um, you know, some of some of it may end up not working, um, but at least we're going to throw it out there. We're going to give it a try and, and see what um, you know, see what we can do and just have fun with it. Absolutely. And then, um, so the next comment here comes from uh, Nisu Shah, who's been a, a great supporter of ours for a long time, and I'm personally thankful for Nisu Shah. So, uh, yeah. wrote, "Love the show as always. Have you guys seen Grabbers yet? It's streaming on Netflix right now. It's a cute little creature feature made in the tradition of Shaun of the Dead. Not nearly as brilliant, of course, but a fun, light-hearted watch. And um." So Josh wrote back on this, and and he basically said, I haven't heard of Grabbers, but I will check it out this week. And here's good news, Nisu Shah. Um, Josh and I both watched Grabbers because of your recommendation. And you know me, if it's Beastly Freak, I am there. And um, so we're actually going to be reviewing it. You'll hear that review after this listener feedback section. It's coming up. So- nice. And I, this has been high on my list to see. I actually heard about this um Maybe uh, maybe five six months ago, and it, it was not even available on on DVD. It was when it was first released. I'd heard um, some other podcasts talking about it, and this was high up on my list to check out at that point. You know, I, I really yes. wanted to see it then, so I can't wait to uh, to to to, uh, to see it. Well, I'm interested to hear what you think, and I'm gonna save I'm gonna save my thoughts. I, I I'm biting my tongue. Fair <laughs> enough, no problem. But uh, but I will say this: you should watch it. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Now, um, this next one comes from Gertie Wordy, who wrote, love, 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 love the new show. Sorry to see Dr. Walking Dead leaving so soon, but what replacement with Dr. Shock? <laughs> I could listen to him read the phone book and would probably find it interesting. I love all the horror movie theory discussions and all the reviews. 
any chance somebody could post Doc's top 10, top 20 to save me from having to scan back? So, yeah, I'm sorry I haven't done that yet. By the time this episode posts, it will be there already. So I'll have that up there for you, Gertie Wordy. Now, so. that, and that, that's like beyond humbling, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, that's thank you very much. That That's an incredible compliment. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I was, you know, I think uh, Dr. Walking Dead was uh, did a, such a great job on that first episode. And I was actually a little nervous to be stepping in um, to replace him, uh, you know, with everything he brought to that show. Uh, you know, I just wasn't sure that I was going to be able to hit that level of uh, of expertise that he has and and to hear that that's that's very humbling and i thank you very much well J- wolfman josh said it best doc when he said i think it was on the previous episode he said here's the thing you just can't replace either of them they're both like masters or something like that so we're grateful to have both of you and he's going to be back so i'm so thankful for that i can't wait till he yeah. comes back and that'll that'll be a good episode yeah that's definitely right. and thank you yeah, so we'll we'll I'll have that up there for you, Gertie Wordy. Thank you. And then um continued. One thing I would love to see for a special episode would be to get Tara Tovey and Bill Shetty back for a weekly horror movie podcast reunion show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually I, I said in the last episode I reached out to Terror and I don't know if you knew this, Dave, but he's down in LA and he's like pursuing filmmaking and Oh, nice. He's doing great. So, um, I haven't no, I haven't uh, I haven't heard from uh, from Terror in a while. I actually I did check out his website again uh, not too long ago, just to check out because you know he has a, a website of his photography. Yeah, and he's got uh, some um, hilarious short films on YouTube. So maybe I'll I'll link those in the show yeah, notes in case people are I, like curious about seeing those. Because I would I would love. And you know, it's funny because those shows for for Weekly Hard. One thing I did want to say about them is they always had there was always there was always back and forth there was always a little bit of bickering um you know some some uh, some head clashing and uh, and just um you know we didn't always see eye to eye as a matter yes. of fact we we there were there were episodes where it seemed like we seldom saw eye to eye exactly <laughs> on, on movies but yet it was always done um it was always done uh, very uh, i don't mean want to just say professionally but but very warmly you know there there was never an episode when we were done where um, we didn't like hang around for a little bit and talk a little bit more and, and just sort of joke around. It, it was never at a point where, where the um, where the anger or the uh, or the hostility got to the point that that it, that it reached a uh, a level that it carried beyond the show. You right. know, it was it was always a lot of fun to do. We'd sit here, we'd go back and forth, and then we'd just joke around when we were done anyway. It it it, it was never, and I think that's part of what made that show. Uh, so special was that we had that relationship where we could we could challenge each other and and, and even 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 give little jabs at each other from time to time and uh, yes. and um, and yet yet still had a, a fairly good um, you know working relationship and and a, and a very a very friendly uh, sort of warm relationship as well. I totally agree. It's it's one of my all time favorite podcasts I've ever been a part of. And for those who have not heard the weekly horror movie podcast. It's actually all 26 episodes are available free here on this website at horrormoviepodcast.com. It's there in our archive. You can find it right here on the site. So no sweat. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Thanks for your thoughts on that, Dave. I'm glad that was a fun time for you as well. It's true. Oh, abs- absolutely. And it was just such a great, uh, a great group yeah. of, of all of us together. Um, you know, and it was Terror and Bill Shetty and then, of course, Midnight Corey. Oh, yeah. Um, we did such a, a, a great job, um, you know, uh, stepping in there, 
um, you know, later on. And yes, it was it was it was just such a pleasure to uh, to be part of that show. And it was just so many you know great people involved with it. It was so much fun. Yeah, I miss it a lot. Absolutely. And um, the final the final part here, what Gertie Wordy said is, uh, we'll be trying to check out a lot of the recommendations mentioned in the show when I can find the time. I'm in the same boat as Jay. My wife is not a horror fan. <laughs> that's an that's an understatement. Yeah. So anyway, uh, keep up the great work. I'm looking forward to the next show. So thank you, Gertie Wordy, for leaving your comment there. And then uh, Mike Welch wrote, like this podcast. Would like to hear your thoughts on made-for-TV horror movies and series. Been some gems there. Also, did you guys see the, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, W-U-N-F, or if it's one <laughs> Halloween special. That looks great. So let's let's address the first part there, um, Doc. The TV horror movies and mm-hmm. series made-for-TV. So what are your thoughts there? I really love some of them. Some of them are just tremendous. I mean, Salem's Lot was made for TV. Oh, yeah. And I think that's one of the greatest vampire films ever made. Uh, you know, just taken as it is. Totally. Um, and, um, you know, so I've I've even done a few of them um, on the blog that have just, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the one with the, with the little, they even remade it. Was it, is it Don't uh, the, with the little with the little creatures that were living behind the wall. Oh, um, why oh. is that name? Why is the name escaping yeah, me now? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a long name. I know what you mean, though. It's um, it, don't, don't be, be afraid, afraid of, of the dark. dark. Yes, don't be <laughs> afraid of the dark. You yeah, owe me a Pepsi. To... No, right. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, that one is one of my favorites. I mean, I think when you look at the the time, there have been some some good um ones, you know, throughout. But I think the '70s was a really strong era for these made for TV um, horror movies. Yes. Um, you know, a number of them came out and they, you know, John Carpenter's someone's watching me uh, was, was made for TV. It was originally going to be a theatrical film and it ended up being made for TV. And, and that's a, a, an excellent sort of um, home invasion slash stalker um, movie. I'm with, with just some really, uh, you know, creepy moments. And it's one of uh, Carpenter's earlier films. I mean, I know he, he made that w- well before he did Halloween. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, that would be, I think we could have a lot of fun delving into some of those. We should. And in fact, yeah, like, um, I'm totally with you on Salem's lot. I still think that's scary. And you know what I love? I actually love storm of the century. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I know, Not everybody does, but I'm telling you for me, I think that's a good time. Like if it's going to snow, if there's going to be a big storm, I'm serious about this, Dave. There's a big storm. I like to watch that. I like to get snowed into that movie. Yeah, I can see that. I can see where you're coming from on that one. Yeah, I know. I mean, I it's, it's not the I, scary. And you know what? I'm sorry. Someone's watching me came out in '78. I'm wondering if he did do that. It wasn't well before Halloween. Oh, okay. I'm just looking that up now because I said that and I said, well, I don't know if that's right. So I wanted to look that one up. Uh, I think he did make it before Halloween for some reason. But I can't say for sure. I'm wondering if he, if maybe he made that. And um, uh, but anyway, regardless, it's well worth checking out. I just always believe everything you say. So yeah, I know. Well, that's that's like, dangerous. <laughs> In this case, I wasn't right. So that could be a little bit dangerous. <laughs> now, what about it? Now, wasn't that initially? Was it was it initially released on TV? Yes, it was. Okay. I, Stephen King has quite a few. I mean, a lot of Stephen King's works have been um, have been adapted for TV. 
Um, you know, it, and then they even had the, I think the shining, the remake of the shining was made for television. Yeah. Not, not nearly as, you know, no, it doesn't no, hold up no. to the first one, of course. Not but, at all. Not at all. But what, and let's, let's really look at this. I mean, the, the thing for these movies is in order for them to work, I think for the most part, this is kind of general, but I think they have to be genuinely scary on, yes. on some level beyond like gore or whatever because since it is made for tv they can't really go too far in those departments so it has to be deeply scary in some way and Mm -hmm. and so yeah for in order for those to be successful it's kind of like the same thing same way i feel about pg-13 is i mean even though like for example you got the ring which is very scary and it's pg-13 yeah i mean you got movies like that um, that they work, but for me, like a lot of the PG 13s don't work. And it's the same with, um, the made for TV. I don't think a lot of them are scary, but if there's a good concept, I'm on board. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, you go back to the seventies, it's like they could get away with a little more back then too. That's true. Now that things have gotten, uh, you'd think, you'd think it would have maybe gone in the other direction, but things have gotten a little more, uh, for one of a better word, sort of puritanical, where they clean <laughs> clean up a little bit, and they, you can't say this, you can't do that. Um, but hey, you know what? I think I think it would be I think it would make for an interesting episode. You know, as far as television series, uh, I do have the Dark Shadows on uh, DVD. The um, nice. Uh, who was that? Rod Serling's. Um, uh, no, was he Night Gallery? I'm sorry, I have Night Gallery on DVD. Um, which was Rod Serling's, um, I think it was in the 70s, he had the series out. Um, and that one has, you know, most of the time it's it's along the lines of what you're talking about as far as TV horror goes. And this one's sort of an anthology type show um, where, okay, some of them are just a, l- a little bit more unsettling than they are scary. But they have some episodes in there that uh, you, know, you definitely get the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned initially you said Dark Shadows. Now Dark that's, Shadows, a, yes. that's the one that has like a million episodes and it's That is the that's the one. Um <laughs> yes, that's the one that was almost like it was a soap opera. It was a daily right, right. um almost in you know, a horror themed and they made, you know, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton had the recent movie that came out. Yes. Uh that I actually had a little more fun with than a lot of people did. I don't think it was a great movie, but I think it it, it was it was I was entertained while I was watching it. You're a true movie lover, though, Doc. I mean, I guess. I, I am. Yeah, I, I, I admit, I end up. I, I like some things. A lot of people would just say, "What the hell?" You know? it, it, it's endearing. I'll, I'll it, say it that. Is, it, it definitely <laughs> is. And um, but that show, I do have several episodes of that. Um, like I got greatest of, like best of. I'm not. I wasn't about to go out and invest in that. However many DVDs for the 1,100 episodes that it came out. Hey, I know. I, I you know. I, all the movies and everything I own, I know I'll probably never get a chance to watch them all, but that I know I would never get a chance to watch all 1,100 episodes of that anyway. Yeah, no So way. I just sort of got a best of, and I really, I'll be honest with you, I've sat down and tried to watch it three times, and it's only a half hour, I think, episode, mm-hmm. um, and I have fallen asleep before the end of each show <laughs> all three times. Not a good sign. It's <laughs> not It's not a good sign. It definitely has that, you know, that sort of soap opera feel. I can see why some people are so attached to it, but until I make it through one episode, I honestly can't say, <laughs> offer an opinion of it other than to say I haven't made it through one episode yet. <laughs> There you go. 
The other one I wanted to talk about, we're actually going to be covering this within the next couple of episodes. I've been trying to do it the past couple of weeks, but um, our buddy Greg Amortis loves this. It's Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And now, now you you like that one too, right? I do. I I like that movie. You know, and and I rem- I sort of remember it from back in the day, and um, and I actually have the Blu-ray of that. It's it's for me. It was. For me, it was an entertaining film. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. It might not be the most frightening movie out there, but but I I think it was I think it was very well made and has Charles Durning just playing sort of a sleazeball. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to be bringing a review to people of that one if if you haven't seen it yet. And um, I think maybe you guys will be surprised with what I have to say. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so okay. so look forward to that. Hopefully, and yeah, if you want to try to find that, I've I've seen it on Amazon. It's not like, you know, it's not like totally unavailable. You can find it places. So there you go. And then Dave, this is going to shock everybody, but I just got to say, I am a kind of guy that I only watch. I try to only watch shows when it's completely done. The series is done. And then I just get all the DVDs and then I binge watch. Right. Cause I mm-hmm. hate waiting. And I think I've heard you say this too. I was the exact same way. I mean, it doesn't work for me. It's it's. I'd like to be able to to sit there and watch as as many episodes as I want, or watch one you know one episode all the way through without the commercial interruptions, um, and not have to tune in every week. You know, if I if I watch four episodes and I take a couple weeks to watch the next four, you know, that's how I prefer to do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I totally agree. And this very thing that we're talking about. I, I had done that with The Walking Dead, where I hate waiting between seasons and all that stuff. So I I wasn't watching it, wasn't watching it. And boy, I, I'm a zombie guy. I love zombies in it. It's just, it's really been bugging me because it's like, I hate kind of being left out. And plus, I like to be able to talk about it, especially on this show. I mean, it's going to be significant that way. So I broke down and watched the first episode of The Walking Dead just last night. <laughs> Okay. My wife and I watched it actually, and um, yeah, I really like it. I'm really impressed. And so it was episode one of season one. That's all the farther I am, but but um, so far so good, everybody. So yeah. I know that's old news to everybody, but I just wanted to mention it. No, definitely, yep. All right. So I I'll continue with this string here. There's only a couple more on um episode three comments, but I know you got a couple too, Dave. Let's go to those before we forget. Uh, yeah, sure. And I got an email actually from a uh, uh, Jace Ricci, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he was saying, uh, hey, he loved the show. You know, he was he was happy that I had joined up. Uh, he was a big fan of uh, the weekly horror, and uh, he liked it uh, hearing us back together again. Um, and he says, keep up the great work. And um, he added in here that he was trying to find. Uh, the Horror Palace Network special episodes. You know, he hears us reference them uh, every now and again. He wanted to see if he could check them out. He wants to know where he could find them. Um, I, those were actually, um, you know, Bill Shetty, who had run Horror Palace. Uh, those were actually, you know, his shows. And when he had uh, stopped with podcasting, you know, he had, he had taken the network down. So those are not currently available. And I did let uh, Jace know this. Um, you know, at some point, um, you know, we're all thinking Bill Shetty may at some point get back into podcasting again. Um, if he does, um, you know, I'm sure he'll make those episodes available again. And I promised Jace I'd let him know if and when that happens. Um, and he also mentioned he was on his way out to uh, to see, I, in the follow-up email, he said he was going to be checking out Gantz. 
Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> the movie. Because as you said, as I recall, that's one that everybody seemed to like. Yeah, that's true. On on the show, and I told him, yes, definitely check out Gantz. That was such a fun, and that that one even is is just sort of on the border of being a horror movie. Mm-hmm. But yet, it's it was so much fun. I mean, even Bill Shetty enjoyed that one. Yeah, that you know, was. He, he's a straight up horror guy, and this one was, you know, questionable, like on the line of whether it was horror or not. But it was so well made and it was so entertaining that I just think you couldn't help but, uh, you know, but, but like it. I mean, I, I, I really like that movie. I watched it with my sons and they loved it. Yeah, you guys fought about that. That was on episode 15 of the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast, as I recall. And I remember Billy, jo- Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Billy Joel fan. Sorry. But I remember Bill Shetty saying he thought it was horror and terror arguing that it wasn't. So, yeah, you guys should listen to episode 15 to Definitely. hear them fight yes, about I, that. And I, but you know what? I think they both agree that they, that they enjoyed the movie. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and it is. And, and as good as Gantz is, that's how bad Gantz 2 is. Right, right. Unfortunately, it just had none of the magic, none of the appeal of the first movie. I don't know what they were going for in that thing. But it just it, – it, it didn't – you know, the first one had all these big monsters in it. The second one had like nothing along those lines. It was such a disappointment. Oh, that's nice. That's – that. That that is really nice though for Jace to write in and like mention that though. I I think I love it when people shout out like movies that we've recommended before and they say yes. something about that 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 like makes it that makes it all worth it, right, Doc? <laughs> it does, it does, because you know we're trying to we're trying to turn people onto the good movies and and let them know what's worth watching out there, and it is always good. Um, you know, I get that with my blog all the time too. People writing back saying, "Hey, I checked this out. I really enjoyed it," and that that's always great. I mean, you don't always get that. Sometimes they check it out and they don't agree with you. And you know what? That's fine. I mean, there's nobody out there uh, who's going to agree with you 100 percent of the time. But it, it's to check them out anyway, just to introduce a new movie to somebody that they feel um, you know compelled enough to, to to see. I think that's what makes it. That's what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I wanted to tell Jace, too, because Jace also sent me an email, and I'm sorry that it's taken so long to respond. I was looking into things for you, Jace, but um, long, long story short, first of all, thank you for writing. And, and uh, he, he says in here, Dave, I don't know if he wrote this in yours, but he said that he's a lifetime fan of horror. He's gotten mm-hmm. countless recommendations from us over the months and years and wanted to say thanks. And um, he also asked me about the Horror Palace um episodes and then he said keep up the great work you're really the best cast out there trust me i had to sift through some terrible crud for a while before finding you guys and have turned a a couple of my horror pals out here onto the show as well and i look forward to all that's coming down the pipe and so i that just that's really cool and i wanted to tell jace one thing so even though those horror palace episodes are not available because they are tremendous and i do hope that they come back available again because i those are some of my favorite ones those specials dave those were amazing mm-hmm. yeah they were uh they were a lot of fun to, to, to make i mean the ones that i was a part of um and then the one even the one i wasn't a part of the uh the sort of zombies versus slashers oh yeah that one's epic epic that that absolutely was yeah but um you know and it, this isn't the same thing, but Wolfman Josh and Dave and I were talking about some things down the pike in the future for this episode that that may s- scratch an itch, 
right, Dave? Is that how you could say it? Is yeah, that a I teaser that's enough? A, that's a good way of putting it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not not necessarily, you know, fulfill 100%, but maybe scratching it. So we'll just try to tease them with that. I'm just trying to keep people listening to see what we do next. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay, so what else did you get there, Dave? Um, and I got something real quick on uh, on Twitter. Okay. Um, well, you know, of course, um, uh, Chris XS. I love uh, always that guy. gives us a shout out and you know, he's, he's just tremendous. It's always great to hear from Chris and he's, uh, he's been, uh, you know, along with you, Jay, I think he, I think him and you are probably my two longest followers on Twitter. Oh yeah. Uh, two of my oldest. I mean, um, uh, you guys were there like from, from towards the very beginning. Um, and we always hear, we, it's always great. He'll always, you know, give us a shout out and, and, and link to our episodes. And I definitely want to thank Chris for that. You know, he's just, He's always been a great supporter. That guy's the um, best. Absolutely. And now he's a he's a podcaster himself in a way on on um um oh, uh, Butcher's show on Terror Troop, which yeah. is which is if you haven't checked that out, you definitely want to check out Terror Troop. Um and also, you know what? Uh, the other one on Land of the Creeps, and I'm on with Greg Amortis and, and um Haddonfield Hatchet is another fun show. We have a great time on that one, you know, um talking about horror movies. Um that's one I think that's worth checking out as well. But yeah, Chris is uh, just—he's um, a great supporter, and um, you know I definitely want to thank him for that. Uh, but then I had gotten a tweet from uh, from Nicholas Strange. Okay. Um, he was just saying he was glad I joined the Horror Movie Podcast. He said that show seems like it's going to be one of the really good ones. So I, I oh. thank you for that, Nicholas. And um, yeah, I uh, you know keep listening. I think we we definitely uh, will get. Just continue to improve. <laughs> That's right. And we, we hope to for sure. And um, yeah, and I got to tell you, I got to confess to people out there, I kind of suck at Twitter. I try to, I'm trying to get good at Twitter. Dave, Dr. Shark is really good at Twitter. I kind of suck at it. And I do the Twitter for horror movie podcasts. But um, but uh, every once in a while, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, Twitter. I get in there and I see like Allison Jones gave us a great shout out there. Um, so thank you. Miss Horror Nerd gave us a good shout out. And as you said, Chris Access is always giving shout outs. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, a few people have given us shout outs and I haven't done all the appropriate Twitter thanking and retweeting. It's because I'm kind of an idiot with Twitter, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get better. And so I'm sorry. Thanks for being patient with me, you guys. <laughs> but that's so cool. Well, you got other, it's not like you got nothing else going on. Nah, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. So that's cool. So anything else, Dave, before I finish our episode three comments? No, I just, um, you know, I want to thank, and I know I've heard from other people um, talking about the, talking about the show. I want to thank you. If I didn't mention you, mention you uh, personally, I definitely appreciate um, your comments and, uh, and, and you getting in touch. Um, and even with Jace, I mean, you know, he sent an email and sometimes that's, that takes even a little bit more to do, um, to, you know, to sit yeah. down and send an email out. And, and I definitely appreciate the time that you took to do that when people just feel strong enough, strongly enough about it to, uh, to give you that sort of feedback. I mean, that's really, it's really special. And it's, and like you say, and it's, we'll say it a, probably a, a hundred times going through these things. It's very humbling that, uh, that people are reacting this way, um, this way to it. And for me personally, uh, as I said earlier, you know, to, to step in for, 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 uh, you know, Doctor Walking Dead, who did such a great job on that first show, um, and to to still have people, you know, sort of embrace me and saying they're glad I'm part of the of um, the show now, it it really does mean a lot. Absolutely, yeah, it does. I'm with you 100. percent 
And uh, speaking of really supportive and special listeners, our, our good friend, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. One of my best buddies in podcasting is uh, Jeff Hammer. He, he left two comments on episode three. And he's always busting my chops, and I deserve and, it. And you know, and Jeff sent me an email too a while back, and it took me a while to get back. You know how I am with emails, Jay. Sometimes right. <laughs> it takes me weeks to get back to them. Um, but no, Jeff's a great guy, and um, yeah, and I, Jeff, I did, I did eventually respond to you. I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you, but I did appreciate the email. Well, he's just he's in Indiana steaming. He's just mad. <laughs> no, he's, he's actually one of the nicest guys I know. So, so he wrote here. He's like, so Jay. What exactly are you trying to accomplish? Okay, he, he's referring to, I did this big rant in episode three where I was talking about complaining about how there was only one major horror release in October 2013. And I was trying to like counteract that and fix it for 2014, Dave. So that that's kind of what he's talking about here. Okay. And he said, would you rather have your next carry, The Evil Dead, and the purge all come out in October and not have had horror coming out all throughout the year. That's a problem. You don't want to convince them to move films to October. You want them to release more horror, period. Well, Jeff, <laughs> he's always busting my chest. I love this guy. No, I'm serious. Okay, <laughs> Hammer, here's here's this is what I'm saying. I just want more than one horror option in October. I mean, it would be cool if we had one per week in October, like maybe four horror releases in October. And then, yeah, of course, have it throughout the year as well. But what I'm seeing and what I'm worried about is that people see a big franchise like Saw or Paranormal Activity and they're like, oh, screw October. We're not going to release anything in October. And and then we don't get any Halloween movies. So so yes, I, I totally agree with your underlying point. Just more period, yes. But maybe just share the wealth and just make sure October gets some. Because that's when, because if we're being honest, if we're really looking at the the health, the healthiness of the genre and the, the financial support of the genre, which is what Hollywood cares about, then people... The average moviegoer, the most people in the world are most interested in seeing these kind of movies in October around Halloween time. Would you say that's accurate, Dave? I'll tell you what. I, I agree with you to a point. But if you think about it, look at what The Conjuring made being released in the summer. True. But it was – Do you do you think it would have duplicated that box office if it was released in October? I'm not convinced it would. I think it would have done more, honestly. I, 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 I honestly, do. I don't agree. I think, I think that, I think, and if anything, it's showing where horror is becoming a stronger genre is that they're releasing more of them during the summer months when big, your big blockbusters are coming out. They're putting horror there because that's another one where they can sort of rely on the box office. I mean, if you look at the Saw franchise and the Saw series and the movie, you know, the money they brought in, even Paranormal Activity um, with the money that those things brought in, yes, they brought in a lot of money comparative to the budgets. But you look at what The Conjuring did. I mean, what was the final on that one? Oh, I can I look mean, it, it was, up while you're talking. Yeah, I mean, it was well, well over. I think it was. Was it? Did it hit a hundred million? That's funny. You're. That's so interesting that you're bringing this up because I'm actually in in our end of the year episode, which we're gonna do. It'll be like the first episode that comes out in January, that first Friday in January. I'm gonna talk about the the horror box office for 2013 because I think it's it's actually pretty interesting. Um, but no, I'm pulling up The Conjuring right here. Yeah, it's got um, the lifetime gross at this point is 137 million plus 
and that was as of end of October. But if you look of when it first came out in the summer, yeah, let me okay, look at you, opening. you look at you look at okay the the opening weekend 41, here, almost forty two million, almost forty two million dollars, and by the end of the summer, it had brought in a hundred and thirty one million dollars. Okay, mm. and that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty amazing. If if you think about it, that for a horror movie, and that was I don't know that if you put that out in October, a that ran for several months to get to that 131. It ran to the end of you know August, and sure. it, and it reached that. Um, I mean, if you take a look at something like Paranormal Activity, okay, yes. the original Paranormal Activity, okay, that was I think that was a um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was that that was an October release here in the U.S. Right. Well, end of September, beginning of October type of thing. But but that was one of those that ramped up and word of mouth spread. It was one of those wildfire like indie. Yes, it was. And as big and as popular as that movie was, it fell twenty five million dollars short of what The Conjuring made. And that's to date looking at like up till up till 2010, up till January 21st of 2010 and paranormal activity came out like end of September 2009, it fell 25 million dollars short of the conjuring. Okay, but doc, here's the thing. The conjuring pretty dang good movie for one. Yes. Thing. And, yes, it was. Yeah, it was pretty dang but good. But paranormal activity launched a franchise. Yes. That that every year they put out a new one. But all I'm saying is you know, try releasing like the American version of One Missed Call in July and see what happens. Oh, uh, I know. I think <laughs> I think you have to have a certain a certain quality of uh, of movie to to put it out in the summer. Right. I don't think you just put any old junk out in the summer. Exactly. By the, but by the same token, I don't know that you know that type of movie. That is the type of movie that they would throw in October, though. Right, and it's, I, it's what I'm saying because it's saying, okay, well, let's try to get the horror movie crowd out there. And yes, there's a lot of people who would go to see these movies in October. There's no doubt about it. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I'm just saying, I don't think that more people would go in October than would go at other times. I mean, look at the evil dead. That was April. I think, wasn't it? The, the evil dead remake. Yeah, yes, it was. It was, which April. is nowadays the beginning of that. Nowadays, they just keep backing the start of, um, the, the start of the summer season up and up and up, you know, and now that they're like April, <laughs> they're putting out some of their, uh, some of their big movies. Yes. Um, and, and let me just look up the evil dead. I'd like to see what, what that did. Uh, as far as I know, that movie did very well too. And that one came out in, in April. I think what it is, is that the, what you're seeing with horror is that it's, it's pulling in the audiences year round. It's giving studios more of an opportunity to space them out throughout the year instead of instead of shoehorning them all into October when everybody was releasing. And I think this year they came up a little bit short because they spread them out so much that at the end they said, hey, you know what? We don't ha really have anything for October now. And I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking maybe that was what it was. Or they're finding, you know, maybe it's just not as uh, – that, that it, October – they they can the movies do as well throughout the year. It, it's they don't have to be released in October. Well, since you haven't gotten to hear the episode, and I'll do this in a very very brief nutshell because the listeners have already heard this. But in episode three, my point was I think what happened with October twenty thirteen was they had Paranormal Activity five slated, and everybody except Carrie got scared and said we're not releasing next to that because that's a huge 
franchise. That's the one that always brings in the money, right? Yeah, so it got delayed and it got bumped to um, January and then you didn't have anything except Carrie. Now, what I was telling people, which is a little bit radical, <laughs> I admit this, Dave, but I was telling people to kind of shun Paranormal Activity 5 in the theater. Mm-hmm. This is evil, I know, but but here's my reason. Because I just don't think... I, for one thing, I think that franchise is done because I love, I really actually love that franchise pretty well. But I think, you know, when I saw this trailer, I'm not impressed thus far. And I'm saying, if we knock Paranormal Activity out of the every October rotation, then I think that, that the studios will try to take a crack at October 2014 again. That's my theory. I think that October 2014, you are going to see it. I think you're, I think it's a good point. I think that could be why people. Um, you know, sort of stayed away from October to a degree. Um, uh, but, and I think this is another thing that of what we're talking about, that horror could be, could bring money in year round. Maybe that's why they pushed it to January. I mean, January is, is normally a dumping ground month. If you think about it, Yeah, it's terrible. January and February or where they just, I mean, those are, that's like uh, as, as uh, miserable as those months are to just live, you know, at least here on the East coast with the snow and, and just the, the doldrums, and it's just not a pleasant three-month period. You know, the, the January, February, March, it's the same way with uh, the movie theaters. It's like the long the long drudge till you get to the to the new summer <laughs> releases, which, like I said, are starting to come out in April now. Um, and maybe they're doing that. Although, because if you think about it, what was it? Cloverfield came out. I want to say it was, it was either January it was, or February. It was January 18th, actually. January 18th. 2008. And that, and that movie lit it up. I think that was one of the first movies that showed the studios, hey, you can make movies in these off months. And maybe that's what they were doing with Paranormal Activity 5 also. Maybe they're thinking, you know what? We're a little bit light in January. We could use the box office. Maybe we'll push it there. But I'll be honest with you. I saw the trailer too. I, it didn't exactly didn't exactly light me light my world on fire either. Yeah, I'm not but excited. I feel like I have to rush out and check this thing out. But I told the listeners. I mean, I'll definitely be reviewing it the weekend it comes out, and I'll let them know. You know, if they want to trust me or not. But if they did, I'll let them know if they should if it's worth seeing in the theater. But uh, speaking of January, it's funny I mentioned um one missed call, the American remake of that, and that actually came out in January. That's a pretty terrible movie, but you're right. Uh, well, that, a lot of times, that's where they'll throw the movies that uh, you know that that they're just see. It's funny because what is it? Um, sometimes they just end up getting pushed there for for production for production reasons too. I mean, sometimes they just miss. A lot of times they have a movie they think is going to be an award film. It misses that cutoff. And they end up pushing it to the first of the next year. Yes. Um, you know, like I think uh, George Clooney's uh, Monuments Men. Yeah, it's is coming out in February, and I don't know the trailer for that. I think looks extraordinary. Yeah, that. Well, what I heard on that, just, just side note, is that he didn't. Clooney was not uh, happy with the way the special effects were coming out. He thought they didn't look good enough, so he's like, "Okay, let's do this better." I think that's what, and I think when you see movies like that delayed, because I think that's one they could have pushed maybe for the award season this year, and I think maybe they were thinking along those lines, um, and that's what pushed it again. And then you got the studio, and they're sitting there thinking, "Okay, do we sit on this now until the summer, when we're not sure it's going to? Do we sit on, you know, how long do we sit on? No, they just throw it out there in February, um, you know." To, to, because that, I guess, that's when it's going to be ready. But also to try to start recouping some of their uh, some of their costs on that. Um, that's why some movies get delayed. But it, it's like it's funny. It's just everything is in time period. You know, when you hit April, May, you start getting into the summer months where you get like the fun, 
um, you know, the superhero and then the sci-fi and all these great movies. And now horror, I think, is getting thrown into that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, here's what's interesting about that. Um, the Oscars a few years ago, when they did that little tribute to horror with those <laughs> clips, do you remember that? Um, yes. It was just like, I think it was in 2010, that, that Oscars. Anyway. Talk they, about, dro- they dropped the ball on that almost as much as they did with that James Bond tribute they uh, did last year. Absolutely. I agree 100% with what you just said. But yeah, in, in there though, when they introduced it, they they called it at the Academy Award ceremony, they referred to horror as the most popular genre. So I think it is, definitely. So the real question then, Dave, and you hit on this, you you really brought us to this point, and I'm grateful you did, is why is the most why does Hollywood, generally speaking, why does Hollywood shun the most popular genre then? Why don't we have more of these? Because we know that they're relatively inexpensive to make. Like they don't cost very much. And 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 I my answer. And then I want to hear your answer. But my answer, honestly, is I think it's still just looked down upon and and regarded as like, you know, trash or whatever. I mean, it's just like a step above porn to most people. Well, I I think I think for some people, yes, it is. Um, A lot of times with horror, with horror movies, you get people who go to the horror movies for the thrill of it more than to see a great movie. You know, I mean, if you think about it with horror, it's one of the few genres you don't need a big, a big star. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can, you can retread old, you know, drudge up old material, yes. um, which is not something that the horror fans necessarily like as much as, you know, the box office. I mean, look, the, the night, new nightmare on Elm street was the tremendous box office. Um, I think it's it's just one of those things where you know it's it's the studios uh, you see it around this time of year where they pay attention to their prestige movies, um, the ones that they're pushing for Oscars. You know, this is the time of year. I used to subscribe to the Hollywood Reporter. I had that as a gift some one time. Somebody bought me a year subscription to the Hollywood Reporter, which is a weekly you know publication, and I still save some of them because you get it and on the cover it says for your recommendation around this time, like for the first few months leading up to the Oscars is like for your recommendation and that's where they're promoting their prestige movies, the ones that they're pushing for Oscars. You know, these are the, these are the movies that they're putting their money behind. They're putting campaigns behind these things yes. to try to get them Academy Awards. Yes. Okay. Well, that's the, that to them is like the prestige sort of films. The problem is, is that a lot of those movies I think are becoming as much or more as much cookie cutter as horror films are <laughs> with with the type of material, real stories, um, you know, uh, with uh, illnesses and, 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 and people dying and, and family dramas and all this other stuff for a while there. Um, even if you go back to the 80s, you know, when you look at what was winning Best Picture then, Ordinary People, Terms of Endearment, <laughs> all of these weepy family dramas that were, you know, Kramer versus Kramer, which I happen to like Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, I don't, wanna, I don't really want to throw any, uh, I don't really want to cast stones at that, but a lot of these things are, are they're the prestige movies, but yet uh, what they're looking at with horror is like, yeah, that's, that's sort of for the kids. That's for people. They go just to have fun and we can put out any old crap. I mean, you know, a lot of the times they'd, they'd look at like what was coming out in the 80s with the slashers, which I really enjoy. And I really love those movies. But let's be honest, some of them were definitely subpar as far as as far as like if you look at the 
quote, un, uh, art, unquote, of filmmaking, <laughs> they came up a little bit short. They would not be ones you would promote as prestige. A lot of studios, I mean, was it, um, it was Paramount, I think it was putting out Friday the 13th? Were they mm-hmm. the ones who were behind that original? Uh, originally, the I don't original? think it was Universal. Yeah, I don't oh, think okay. it was Universal. I think it was Paramount who put out Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, the the first, you know, the first group of them. That sounds they, right. I'll trust you. <laughs> they they were they were embarrassed by it. You know, yeah. they 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 wanted to see this thing sort of, and it just never died off. So they kept putting out, and it was a, it was a cash cow, and yet they were embarrassed by it. I know. Know. You know that it's almost like, and they they eventually sold it off to you know to New Line, and New Line wanted to put together you know the um, the whole Freddy versus Jason thing, which is the big reason that they <laughs> that they purchased it. But I mean, Friday the Thirteenth. Some of the, you look at those first four movies oh, in the yeah. Friday the Thirteenth, and they are classics. All four of them. I'm with you. Are are classics, and I and and you can watch them now, and you can be entertained by them, and yet the studio is like, oh, they're embarrassed by it. Child's Play. Is, is is another good example. That first movie is a lot of fun. You watch that first movie, but the studio that put it out, they were getting some pressure from fa- parents groups about, oh, it's it's teaching kids, um, you know, it's giving the wrong message with toys and all of this other stuff. And the studio was like, yeah, we don't really like it either. I mean, I I had went out and I bought I bought the Child's Play set. There's there's a Child's Play collection. Um, of the Child's Play movies. And I went upstairs and I grabbed it because I wanted to watch the first Child's Play. I was going to cover for the blog and I brought it down and I go, wait a second. The original Child's Play is not on this set. Right. It's because another studio picked it up and ran with it. When the, when the initial studio, and I'm trying, let me, I got to find out who it is now because I'm calling it studio, um, said, you know what? Uh, we don't like this and we're dropping it. So they only ever put the first one out. Dummies. They were. And, 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 they, and the movie was a hit. And it was followed up, you know, and, and, and those movies were hits. It's, there's, there's just that, that sort of they, – they, they have the movies that they like to pay attention to, and they have the movies that they would rather just sort of, I don't know, sort of sweep under the carpet. Horror has always sort of <clears throat> fallen into the latter. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times when, when a movie becomes controversial, it kicks up the box office. Studios actually, uh, in a lot of ways, like controversy. Yeah. But when Silent Night, Deadly Night got a few complaints from parents' groups, they pulled it. Yeah. It was out, what, one week, two weeks, something yeah, like that? Yeah, they got I think. lots of heat back in, what, 84, was it? Yeah, it yeah, out, yeah, and they got a lot of it. And of course, you know what? I mean, as much as I'm a fan of Roger Ebert, him and Siskel have got to share some of the blame for this. They just never got that. They never got slashers, and they never got that sort of horror genre. Um, you know, look, oh, it's just mean and, and, and vicious. And, and I mean, it was almost to the point that they were pointing fingers at fans saying, how could you dare like this? It's true, especially uh, Cisco. But, it, but I, I, I always love Ebert because he did call the, our favorite movie, Doc, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He called it some kind of bizarre masterpiece or something yes, like he that. Did. <laughs> but I think, but it was still a two star review, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was still hard on it. You know, he still he still didn't come out and like really 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 praise it, um, and they would always come in and say, "Well, yes, but we liked Halloween." I right. said, "Well, yes, but Halloween was was you know it was sort of innovative in a way, um, and that's probably because they hadn't really paid any attention to Black Christmas or anything like that before. Right. But Halloween was something special, you know, from the get go, and it was John Carpenter, and it was just something that was you know, it's it's just." a whole level on, on a level of its own. Um, <clears throat> and they always say, Oh yeah, well we like that one. 
Yeah, but that doesn't mean you get the genre. Just because you like Halloween, it doesn't mean that you're going to get it from that point forward. I mean, uh, Halloween, how... Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to look at the difference between Halloween and Friday the 13th. I think Friday the 13th, the first one, had just as much – not just as much. Halloween is a classic. I, let me take that back. But Friday the 13th <laughs> was a suspenseful film. Mm-hmm. It was not just kids acting like kids, getting naked, having sex, let's kill them. Right. There was suspense in there. The characters were somewhat genuine. Yes. You know, it's sort of heartbreaking when that first girl dies. She's such a bubbly, happy girl, the one who picks, you know, is hitched, hitching a ride. A- Annie. Get up to the camp. Yeah. yeah. She's such a bubbly, happy, you know, outgoing personality. And it's really a shame when she actually dies because you actually care about this character. I know. I, I always like that pull the rug out from it. I always thought that was very uh, psycho-esque. Like, wait, yes, cause, it cause was in a way. It was, she was such a good character, and she had the, all the makings of the final girl yep. in a way. Yeah. You know, from, just from that and the fact that they killed her off so early, I don't see where, where you can say Halloween I, – I do see where you can say Halloween is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. But I don't see where you can say that and turn around and say Friday the 13th is trash. Correct. You know, it just – it doesn't match up for me. So there's definitely – Horror just has that sort of element of like, you know, they, they see, they, they think of the fans almost like with the, with the tattoos and the piercings and these are the ones who go to see these kind of movies and, and whatnot because you see the horror conventions um, and a lot of the people that go to these things. But but damn it, you know what? A lot of those people are like the nicest people in the world um, and they, they would be the last ones to do what, what people assume they're going to do from watching these horror movies. Yeah. By the way, just curious. I mean, I don't know if you have this readily available, but what is your rating on the 1980, the original Friday the 13th? I would, you know, again, I only give tens out to movies that are on my all time list. Um, but that movie is a 9.5 and I would even consider going to a 9.75 on that one. (laughs) I really like it. And I understand it's a little bit stands apart from the series because it has a different killer and whatnot. Um, but, but I, I even, go ahead. Sorry, I was I, real excited. I, but I still think it ranks right up there as when you look at the slashers. Um, yes. it's it's one of the top ten slashers of all times. I, I agree with that, and for me, it's like and well, let's see, it's it's probably in my top fifteen. I'll say that. Like, okay, like for sure. But if, for me, it's an eight point five. It's a buy it. And by the way, the fact the whole killer thing in that first one. I think that is one of the strengths, and I think it is one of the strongest, at least for me, in terms of a film and whether it works. I think that that, that killer and the motivation of that killer especially makes it one of the strongest of the series. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Absolutely. You know, because you don't see it coming. No, no, it's incredible. I that love you that. don't see it coming. and then But the thing is, then when they finally did get the next person involved... Um, yeah. you know, it, it took it from there and it's funny cause it's when they finally were, were making p- part two, you know, they went to Tom Savini and they were going to have him come back to do the effects. And I don't think he did. I think he went to do the burning instead. Cause Tom Savini says, how can you do that? That character doesn't even exist. It was a dream sequence. <laughs> you know, how, how could you bring it back? I mean, that was one of the things with, um, and maybe that's another thing with the horror movies is that, okay, yeah, they could kill this person off, but you know, they're going to come back <laughs> by the next movie anyway. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so that could be, people are kind of like looking at it like a joke like that to a degree too. Cause they did that a lot back in the eighties, even with Michael Myers, how many times did they kill him off <laughs> and, and he would be back by the next movie, you know, it's like, oh, you can't kill him. Well, 
they did, or at least they thought they did at the end of the movie, and then they always showed us how they didn't. Um, but again, and they look. But again, that even goes back to the um, that goes back to the '30s. I mean, look how many times did Frankenstein's monster die? Absolutely. You know, he died at the end of the first one. Yet there he was in, in Bride of Frankenstein. So that that's nothing new. I mean, horror's been doing that since uh, since the early days because the studios look and say, "Hey, we got a winner here." Well, what are we? What are we stupid killing this killing this character off? And honestly, it works in the genre because because the genre is a a study of death and either overcoming either overcoming it or submitting to death. And so, and and it doesn't matter which way you're going. They can be coming back from the dead like zombies or being killed like victims. So that's pretty Mm -hmm. interesting. One last thing. I know this was a long time ago, but (laughs) this probably is a moot point at this point. But um, one other thing that I really thought the conjuring (laughs) had going for it, Dave Mm -hmm. was it had a great trailer. That tra- oh, it did. that yeah. trailer got so much buzz, and not just in you know our community, the horror community, but just in the the I, I listened to a number of movie podcasts, and you know just regular podcasters who weren't necessarily horror fans were talking about that trailer, and so I think that also carried a lot for that. I would I definitely agree with you. I'll tell you what I do. I took my son and his friend to see World War Z um, at the end of the summer, and the trailer for The Conjuring popped on before that you know they, they showed the trailer for the conjuring um before that and my son he had a hard time he's not a, he's not so much a horror fan and he's like me where the ghost movies really get to him <laughs> uh the the this the, the, the trailer is a scene with the with the sort of this um what would you call it like a wardrobe closet yeah with his pair of arms stick out and clap their hands oh my goodness um and just the way the cello was cut together with with the noise and the screams and the jump scares and everything he had such a hard time sitting through that trailer i mean he was like he, he, he was he was trying not to cover his eyes because he's there with his friend <laughs> oh. you know and he didn't want to do that but i know he was struggling <laughs> Getting through that trailer. Oh, I, hey, that trailer scared me. And, yeah. And, and that was, um, you know, in terms of trailers, because this is kind of neat, too, the study of trailers. But um, that was probably the scariest trailer I had seen um, after ever since the Strangers trailer. Because I remember the Strangers. Boy, that was fun sitting in theaters and watching people react to that trailer where that mm-hmm. guy in the mask is standing off in the background. Oh, yeah. And like yeah. people would scream with and the lights are still on in the theater, you know, and they're show you know, the lights are still like dimming and people would scream and get all freaked out. I loved it so much. It was a great trailer. It may it is it, when that happens, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, to be then it's it's that's one of the reasons why I don't mind them showing four or five trailers at the beginning of a movie because you oh, just yeah. get to see what uh, you know to get to see what's coming up next. I actually think that's part of the overall experience, part of the experience that I really enjoy. I'm with you. I'm with you, Dave. Okay, so Jeff Hammer he uh, initiated all of that, <laughs> so <laughs> he's got one other thing that he said. Um, he wrote. I agree with what Scott said in the feedback section. I was going to avoid Killer Holiday, which you say you want me to watch as repayment for Bad Milo. By the way, Dave, have you seen Bad Milo yet? I don't believe so, no. I hated that movie so bad. and um, Really? And, and probably more than I should have hated it. Like, I was a little extra hard on it, I think, just because the, um, I don't know, it just 
was so so irritating to me. But anyway, Our comedy. I'm looking at the poster here. It looks like he's got this weird little creature laying yeah, there. <laughs> so so that little creature, and this is not a spoiler. I mean, this is well known. So I'll just tell people that for those who don't know, that monster comes out of this guy's colon, basically out of his butt, uh, out of his butt, <laughs> and like attacks and kills people, and then goes back in. Oh, several times, and so. It was just so stupid to me, and I hated it, but Jeff Hammer liked it, and anyway, we fought about that movie a lot, but so that's what he's talking about here. So he said, I was going to avoid Killer Holiday, which is a movie I despised on the previous episode. He said, what you say you want me to watch is repayment for Bad Milo, but then I realized that you gave it three times more than you gave Bad Milo, <laughs> which... <laughs> Which would be impossible to do with 95% of critics' ratings for Bad Milo. So I'm left not knowing if Killer Holiday was bad or off the charts good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jeff, here's what I say to you, buddy. Please, please be my guest. Just go watch Killer Holiday. And, um, and you know what? You deserve everything you get <laughs> when you watch it. Dave, let me see if I have the. Since you didn't listen, people are probably going to be mad about this, but I'm sorry. This is a this is a clip from Killer Holiday. This is real, Dave. I did not doctor this in any way. Guys, guys, look, guys, guys, look, guys, 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 look, guys, 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 look. What do you think of that, Dave? Is that a movie you want to see? Holy cow, what the hell? <laughs> that, I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here trying to picture what's going on in that scene for the, for the, it's just like him trying to get their attention. I mean, was it, I mean, obviously I'm thinking they, they, that was exaggerated for effect. It is just as inexplicable and out of place and odd and terrible. In the movie, in the context of the movie, as it was just hearing it right now on the so podcast. It, so it wasn't like sort of a, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes a movie will do that just as a as sort of a wink to the audience saying, hey, we know we're annoying you. Yeah, well, I mean, I wondered. The only theory I could come up with is along those lines. I'm like, okay, well, I guess maybe the director, the filmmakers, they thought this was funny. Like right. maybe this happened on accident and they're like, oh, that's funny. Let's just leave it in there. But it is just... It's like, oh my goodness, this is it's terrible. almost as if it's almost as if he was doing multiple takes there. Yeah, it reminds like, oh, guys, guys, come here, and then uh, guys, like he kept doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> where he was just supposed to say, guys, 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 come here, and he just kept doing multiple takes of it without <laughs> the director yelling cut, you know, to try and give him something to use, and the director just used, decided to use all of them. Oh, that's a great theory. Maybe that's what, I bet that's what happened. But it reminded me so much of on Family Guy. You know how the comedy in that is? They like push things way yes. beyond and so i'm like maybe they were going for some family guy stuff but it is a terrible movie killer holidays awful and it's not even listed as a comedy so for that to be in there <laughs> no and, and you see the cover there you know that yes the, the clown over the um yeah the, uh that, yes that clown looks decent right it doesn't look bad no yeah, it doesn't look bad but i'll tell you what looking at that cover it doesn't exactly strike me as a movie i'd want to rush out to see well here's the thing that clown that you see there at least in my recollection, because I saw the movie in the daytime, I was wide awake, not even in the movie. Wow. So there you go. So That's yeah, awesome. Jeff, go go for it, buddy. <laughs> Watch Killer Holiday, I dare you. So anyway, I think, um. so as for the listener feedback, Dave, 
I don't know if this episode, well, now that we've had some good times here, this episode might not end up much shorter than our other episodes, but I was out of town and, and, and basically off the podcasting grid for the week of Thanksgiving, and so time was short, and so I, I fell behind on organizing the feedback. So if you, if you emailed me or you gave us, you know, you sent us an email and we haven't addressed your listener feedback and you're like, those jerks, you know, p- please forg- forgive me. I'll definitely have it in episode five for you. So don't worry. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, personally, I'm trying to come up with a, with like a, a folder um, that I'm just um, putting all of these things in, like both on Twitter and on uh on Twitter, I'm just favoriting them, but um, like on my on my email, putting them into a special folder so that uh, I don't lose anybody. Because you know, it's one of the more frustrating things is if you take the time to write into a podcast, um, and they'll they'll thank like five different people and then say, and everybody else who sent in, yeah, uh, feedback too. And it's like it's right. almost like you're 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 like the you're like Marianne and the professor in the first season of Gilligan. You're like and the rest. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy who does that. Yeah, because we, right. we genuinely appreciate this. And people write in some amazing things. And, and you know, we've gotten like with Grabbers and Cold Prey, we're getting some good recommendations. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm telling people, I love Beastly Freaks movies. So just write in as many Beastly Freaks movies as you want to tell me about, especially ones that are along the caliber of like Alien, Cujo, Jaws, where it's like a serious Beastly Freak movie. You know, let me know. I love it. Okay. Well, Dave, uh, thanks for spending time with us tonight. And at this point, we'll jump off and uh, we'll move into my review with Josh. All right, sir. Thank you. Have a good night. You do the same. It's always the quiet places where the mad shit happens. They're pilot whales. They died at sea. I can't be self a sea monster. This is something totally different. Something, something alien. You don't believe me? Not a bit. Believe in coincidences. Not really. You are so lucky she didn't kill you. You were drunk. If we taint our blood with booze, we're poisonous sweets. All right, and at this point, I'm joined by Wolfman Josh Lagari at late, late at night. Where are you, Josh? I'm in sunny Los Angeles, California, except for it's pitch black outside because it's night. It's nighttime. <laughs> it's like 10:30 p.m. and you just pulled up to a hotel, right? Yep, I was just pulling into the hotel parking lot when I got your got your message that you're ready to go. So I'm ready to go as well. Are Let's you do this thing? Nice. <laughs> one one last question about that. Are you out and about making films? Is that why you're in L.A.? Yeah, we. Um, I'm doing a documentary project right now that we're looking for a stand-up comedian to kind of be the host of. And so we were meeting with a possible candidate um, and we went, we had dinner with him and then we went and watched his set at a comedy club and yeah, it was, it was good times. Nice. Well, I'm so glad you answered that way because I just got done singing your praises on the previous recording with Dr. Shock saying that oh. you were legit filmmaker and always out and about. So if you'd have said, yeah, I'm visiting my grandma in LA. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did want to do some touristy things over here, but, um, my producer wouldn't, wouldn't let me go ahead with that. I was like, man, we should go to Universal Studios and see the psycho house, but he, he, he's been too many times. So it's cool. Oh, okay. Well, you're- I, I wanted, I wanted to be a tourist, but I had to be a professional instead. <laughs> awesome. Well, 
I just got went through the listener feedback, most of it with um, Doc Shock there, but there, there was a question from Mike Welch, and we had only addressed the first half of his question because we got on such a long t- tangent. And uh, so the second half of Mike's question, I wanted to catch back up. Well, sorry about that, Mike. You probably thought, those guys dissed me, you know. <laughs> but, well, you know how it is. You know, we get talking. Um, so Mike says in there, also, did you guys see the WUNF or ONF Halloween special? That looks great. So are you familiar with that, Josh? I don't think so. Okay. Well, this is really interesting. I wasn't either, actually. So thanks for teaching us about that, Mike. Basically, um, what what it, if you're not familiar with it, um, this is what I found out. On Halloween night in 1987, there was like this public access television network called WNUF, and it ran this live Halloween special. And they sent one of their reporters and a team of paranormal investigators into this allegedly haunted Weber house. And it's also the site where several grisly murders took place. So the goal was to find out if the house was actually haunted. And it turns out, at least in this (laughs) film, the sights and sounds caught on film ended up being so frightening and so horrifying (laughs) that the broadcast was never aired again. And all footage was thought to be destroyed immediately thereafter. So, and it turns out like in October of this year, they were saying that here 25 years later, the footage has been found, you know, found footage. Mm-hmm. And it's just been released on the DVD and VHS. But I was on Amazon today and I could not find it on DVD. So um, it's supposed to be really scary. And it's supposed to be like its first, you know, ever availability since its original broadcast in 1987 and it's one of those things where people are like i dare you to watch it so <laughs> so what do you think about that man uh yeah i dare you to watch it as well <laughs> <laughs> well i dare you sounds to, great to me well i dare you to find it for me down there in okay. la because you know there are lots of movie people down there try to find it for us and let's watch it i'm ready okay all right i'm gonna track it down while i'm here so um i was at a i was at Meltdown Comics today, and I and I got a little treat for um, Doctor Walking Dead for for Christmas. Don't tell him. Oh, but, that's nice. Yeah, I found we were talking about Nazi zombies last time we were on, and I found a couple of good uh, comic books that are World War Two zombie you, books. So, <laughs> well, that. that. Hand those off to him for Christmas. You're such a nice guy. Yeah, Wolfman actually got me a really cool birthday present this year, and um, I thought that was just the best. So he's like one of the nicest guys ever, and I think you should use that as a carrot for Kyle to dangle to get him (laughs) onto the show. Say, I got a great Christmas present that you'll love, but you got to come back on the show for something. Okay. Yeah, good idea. (laughs) So anyway, Josh, we got this little – um. This little challenge here, not a challenge, but Nisu Shah, a good friend who supports us on uh, many podcasts here, wrote and asked us if we had seen Grabbers yet, that beastly freak that's currently streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly. And um, uh, Nisu Shah said it was a creature feature made in the tradition of Shaun of the Dead, but not mm-hmm. nearly as brilliant. And so you said on there that you were going to watch it. And of course, you know, I'm on board for a beastly freak and you and I both Checked out Grabbers in the meantime, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, tell them about it. 
I guess uh, first the, the first thing is I don't know if I'm slipping in my old age, but I was just surprised that a movie like this slipped by me without uh, without me knowing about it already. But um, Crabbers is a 2012 horror comedy uh, directed by John Wright, who I don't think has done anything too notable in terms of feature work. Um, and it stars Richard Coyle, who's probably best known for Prince of Persia. <laughs> but um, it's it's basically a it's basically a I don't know what would you call it. It starts out as a sea monster movie and, and uh, turns into a land monster movie. But it's, I guess, it's an alien invasion of sorts. Yeah. I don't know how how would you describe it? Yeah, it's an alien sea monster, and you might call it amphibious, right? Because it that's can, true. It, it's that's good true. in water and on land, but it has to have water to survive. Yeah, it ultimately, it, it couldn't it couldn't be on land without the water. Yeah, so it's got to be raining. Mm-hmm. When it's on land, for example, which is a which is a cool little wrinkle. And can we talk about the big twist in the movie? Because I just feel like that to me is the most interesting thing about the movie. Yeah, you're talking about what they realized that they needed in order yes. to survive. Yeah, let, I was actually going to ask you about that because on IMDb, they put it right in the premise. So I guess this is probably even on the poster, it's on there. So let me just read the premise here because. And listeners, we really don't think this is going to be a spoiler for you. And and Josh, I'm glad you wanted to talk about this. So it says, when an island off the coast of Ireland is invaded by blood-sucking aliens, the heroes discover that getting drunk is the only way to survive. (laughs) Which which provided for a lot of comedy. Um, I particularly the lead actress Ruth Bradley, I thought was so funny as like a drunk heroine. Um, I thought it was a really good idea. Um, you know, just premise wise, I thought, and, and I thought it lent to a lot of really interesting scenes. I wish it had done more with that premise because I think, um, there were a lot of missed opportunities, but I, but I also think some of the best stuff comes from that idea that you're basically have your entire cast of characters that are forcing themselves into a drunken stupor so that they can be invulnerable to the aliens, which, uh, which I thought was really funny. Well, a couple things on that. So this is interesting. Um, number one, I read in the IMDb, IMDb trivia that writer Kevin Lahaney was um, backpacking across, I guess, the world. It says, <laughs> it's a good place to go. Yeah, it says across the world. And he was being bit by mosquitoes. And he had heard this urban legend that um, if he ate, like if he took vitamin B, that it would prevent mosquito bites. And actually that is true because I'm... Um, my mom used to do that with me. But anyway, he he wondered whether mosquitoes would also get hung over if they drunk drunk people's blood. <laughs> and so that's kind of gave him the premise to the you know the idea for this get drunk to survive. So it sounds like you liked that then. I I loved it as a premise. Um the movie was was slightly disappointing to me. Honestly, although I did like a lot of the cast, um, it was about 12 minutes in when I decided, I, you know, I think I'm really going to like this movie. But I ultimately, I just don't feel like it delivered on enough of the monster movie stuff that I that I wanted from it. It spent a lot of time with the characters, which I always appreciate, and I usually complain about if it's not in there. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I just wanted more from the monster, maybe even more grabbers. You know, I, I, yeah. I can't help but think of Tremors when I watch it, and, you know, three Tremors was a good amount. You know, I'd like maybe, were those called grabbers too? Grabo- graboids. Yeah, graboids. <laughs> graboids. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think uh, maybe a couple more of these things – 
would have made the movie a lot more enjoyable. But I have to say, you know, it's a it's a CGI monster, but they handled it really well. I thought I yeah. was really loved the way it moved. I thought it was terrifying and cool looking. Um, it's basically it's like a it's like a giant octopus, but with like thirty legs, and it has a huge mouth, right? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. love when it moves; it rolls, you know, kind of like a big koosh ball, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it, and looks awesome. I think, when yeah. It, when it moves. As far as CGI monsters go, like they totally pulled it off, and it mostly real. I mean, it mostly looks real, right? Especially for, I mean, uh, I mean, I I could tell it was CGI, but it's for what I imagine was a smaller budget. I would I would say it's really well done. Um, I'd like to see this movie as remade, honestly, with a bigger budget and maybe with with a with a bigger cast. I mean I, I think the cast were all fine. I liked the guy who played Dr. Smith. I liked the main girl as I mentioned Ruth Bradley. Um Richard Coyle was fine. He grew on me as as it went. Um but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it were the budget limitations that bothered me. It was it was a four million pounds was the estimated <laughs> budget. So um That's- I don't know maybe it- Maybe a 15. That's respectable. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because honestly, I thought the film looked great and I thought it had a really good budget, especially for what it is, which is like this silly horror comedy. That's oh, true. I mean, I was kind I, of I guess I just can't I just can't help but compare it to Tremors, like, you know, they don't they don't have a Kevin Bacon type that's really like a standout performer. So, I don't know. I but I I did like the cast. I guess I'm just mixed on it. I guess I guess the problem is there's so much I did like about it, but it ultimately just didn't quite deliver for me. So I'm looking for other reasons why that may be the case. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you actually on a lot of what you said. I mean, so many things you've said I want to respond to. I'm like, oh boy. So first of all, the drunken premise, let's back up. That yeah. that thing um really was kind of disappointing to me because it took it more into the comedy side of it rather than the horror side of it and I don't love horror comedies to begin with so it got a little too silly and I just always remember I've heard actors say maybe even our friend Carl has said that portraying a drunk person is supposedly one of the most difficult things to portray is drunkenness and I know that like supposedly according to trivia in some of these scenes they were actually drunk (laughs) but I yeah but I I didn't um I don't like, it's always the strength. When I see um, actors being drunk, I just always remember, you know, hearing that. And then I critique them like super hardcore. It's like, oh, they're not, they don't seem drunk. But anyway, I did like these actors though, especially the lead guy, Richard Coyle. He reminded me so much of Dominic West from The Wire, who plays McNulty. I can see that. Yeah, I liked him. And then Ruth Bradley is a cute actress and I liked her as well until... She got drunk, actually. So, hmm. so we're kind of opposite on that point. But, yeah. But um, still, you know, and the film looked great, but I totally agree with what you said. Um, we needed more monsters, and, and they spend tons of time with the character. But I think what they were doing, it was it really followed more of a pattern of like a 1950s sci-fi film than a horror film. That's true. Cause, right? Because it's kind of an investigation the whole time, and... um. You know, they're trying to figure out how to deal with it and so forth. Yeah, yeah that's well put. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I I, I don't know. But the, I saw lots of, um, I guess, lots of things that were owed to the Alien films. Like, um, hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah. For example, I mean, at one point you get one of them attached to somebody's face, you know. That's true, yeah. And, and that's an alien thing. And then there's a there's a total homage at the end. If you remember the the huge cat fight, if I can say that without being disrespectful, the, the, <laughs> the lady fight at the end of Aliens and, and what Ripley does to, to match up against her opponent. Well, there's a fight like that. There's something like that in this movie. And the the dialogue is even similar. Yeah, I felt like there were several little winks actually to other movies in this movie. Um, and you know, Nisu mentioned Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't help but think of Edgar Wright's movies throughout. Um, not just Shaun of the Dead, but also Hot Fuzz. There were some moments where I, where I felt connections to that, and even this this was made before it. But even uh, this is the end, or no, sorry, I'm mixing that up. The world's end. Yeah. Which, you know, that movie also has some, its protagonists are drunken by the end of the movie. You know, the that movie takes place nice. uh, during a pub crawl and an alien invasion. And so you've got your drunken heroes facing off against aliens in that movie as well. So I don't know, I, I noticed a lot of similarities to... Uh, to Edgar Wright's body of work, but, but I ultimately liked it a lot. Um, I just think if I was going to recommend one, uh, horror comedy, sea monster movie, it would probably be the host over, over grabbers. But, yeah. um, if you're, I would say if you're a big fan of the host, uh, this might be one to check out. And if you don't mind it being a little, you know, a little lesser than. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and this is kind of random stuff, but I, once again, I agree with everything you just said, actually. But um, there is a scene where they they lock in, themselves in, and it becomes a siege narrative, or at least I hoped it would. But they right. they honestly did not um, cash in on that like like other great siege narratives have, so that was a missed opportunity. And then, this is weird, but in the soundtrack, especially in the beginning, that music sounds so much like... I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> like, that's so <laughs> random, but that stuck out to me. And that's not a, you know, that's neither here nor there. I didn't take anything away for that. But at one point there are these things all over the beach mm-hmm. and I won't say what they are, but that was, that was very cool. And that was kind of creepy to me. And I, I loved that element that actually reminded me a little bit of Jaws and, and, yeah. I, and I wish that they had developed that a little bit more or done something more like that, because that shows us, I guess, how deadly or how scary these beasts can be. Right. Absolutely. But in terms of Beastly Freak, I mean, it's a horror comedy. Um, the creatures look pretty good. And it sounds like you were kind of middle of the road. So where are you coming in at for grabbers? Uh, I mean, I've gone back and forth in my mind. I think I'm going to end up settling on a 5.5 and say rent it especially <laughs> if you like this type of movie absolutely i agree 100 percent. that's what i had 5.5 i say it's a rental and since it's streaming on netflix you guys can check it out right now so there you go well done josh cool. i can't believe how much we agreed <laughs> on that review i know it's so rare <laughs> <laughs> one last thing on this one we got to give them props for this too it says in the trivia that the film was shot during the harshest winter in Ireland in over wow. in over a hundred years. And they had <laughs> they were dealing and you appreciate this as a filmmaker, I'm sure. They they were dealing with uncharacteristic blizzards, gale force storms, and sub-zero temperatures regularly that hampered the production and it really created a difficult shoot. So um you can't tell any of that from the film and it actually looks like they're having a pretty good time. 
making the movie. That's true. That's so, true. So well done. So at this point, we'll move into one of my favorite segments of Horror Movie Podcast. Okay, this time on Destroy All Monsters, I'll be talking about the 2005 film The Ginger Dead Man, starring Gary Busey. Have you seen Ginger Dead Man? I have not seen it, actually. <laughs> okay, well, have you seen Jack Frost? Yeah, I know of it. Yeah, this- I need, Maybe I need to revisit Jack Frost for Christmas. This, this <laughs> is similar. Basically, what you have here is... Uh, a convicted killer's soul uh, uh, brings a uh, gingerbread man to life, <laughs> nice. and um, and then this cookie goes on a on a killing spree, trying to exact vengeance on the young girl who who sent the killer to the electric chair in the first place. I think it's almost worth watching for Gary Busey because. <laughs> if you're a Gary Busey fan, because he is out there, and he's never been more out there than as a demonic gingerbread man. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous, actually. Uh, the gingerbread man, or the ginger dead man, I'm sorry, is made by Charles Band, who's kind of a low-budget indie horror icon, um, just like done hundreds and hundreds of movies. More recently, um, his movies haven't been so great. Uh, he um, he did Evil Bong, which I remember Midnight Corey talking about right. on the previous episode of the show uh, with Tommy Chong. And um, yeah, and I would say Ginger Dead Man is along those lines. Not not one of his best efforts, but um, yeah, it's 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 so unique and. Carrie Busey's performance is so bizarre that I almost want to recommend it, but I, I just can't do it. Um, so for me, Ginger Dead Man is is a 1.5 and, and an avoid it, unfortunately. <laughs> well, Wolfman, I mean, looking at the cover art, I mean, I've heard about this movie for years and I've always been kind of morbidly curious. I've almost watched it a couple of times. But the you co- can't help but be curious, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cover art actually looks, I mean, he almost looks kind of decent like i mean how does he look not good really not good <laughs> it look, it's funny i mean it's goofy it's ridiculous well, but um okay yeah i mean it, it's a cheap rental if you want to if you want to satisfy that curiosity i think it's like on amazon for three bucks or something but honestly it's you don't like horror comedies anyway so i, I, I just feel like i feel like you're gonna hate this more yeah. than most people well, I do like two things that I see. Like, well, the, okay. the tagline is "Evil never tasted so good." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, and then I see the sequel is called "Gingerbread Man 2. <laughs> the Passion <laughs> the, of the Crust. The Passion of the Crust. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but you don't get. I don't. I haven't seen the sequel, but I, you don't get Gary Busey back for that one. So well, I mean, for, that's an automatic. Yeah, forget it then. That's, that's yeah. hilarious. Let me see if there are other. Okay, the other taglines for this one is something's in the oven and out of the oven and into your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. That was a good pick there, Josh. That's great. Yeah. I think that you should buy 
all of your destroy all monster things so you can have them on the shelf. Like buy them before you watch them. <laughs> and then you have this horrible giant collection and then we'll award it to like a listener one day. And then they can like, uh, remember when Roseanne Barr sang the national anthem and they, they threw all the CDs like down in a parking lot and drove over them with a big like roller machine. That's, that's yes. what we should do at the end. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I really like that review of Ginger Dead Man. So if people, Josh says avoid it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is there anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? There's so many things I want to talk about, Jason, but you know, there just isn't time in the day, unfortunately. Um, did you talk about Cold Prey or are we saving that for? Yeah, I, I told him um, that we would be taking care of that on the next episode and Doc is going to watch it with us because he owns it but has never seen it. So he's going to review awesome. it with us. So I apologize for holding everybody up on that one. I, just, I ordered, I didn't realize it was streaming, so I ordered the DVD and it didn't come in the mail in time. No, that's fine. And then um, are you going to, yeah, the sequel is on there as well. So I'm going to watch that as well. Do you want to, okay. can you fit that in? I will try to stream the sequel as well. Yep. Okay. There you go. So um, that's this episode of Horror Movie Podcast. Any parting words? <sighs> Man, you're putting me under this is a lot of pressure, Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, horror movie podcast. Evil never tasted so good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. <laughs> well, you have a good time in LA. It was good talking to you, buddy. Okay, thanks, man. Take care. Goodbye. Okay, I think that just about wraps up episode four of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed this show. We love your comments, seriously. Um, so please get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. And what I mean by that is just everybody who listens to this show and our co-hosts here. And just keep them coming. I mean, you can leave a comment in the show notes or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And once again, if you've written to us and we haven't talked about your comment on this episode, I apologize. It's been a crazy two weeks but I'm going to make sure we get those in for the next episode, okay? So um, you could even call and leave a voicemail, which that would be very cool, actually. We'd love to get some voicemails and hear your voice like on the show, and you can call it 801-382-8789 and just leave us a message. Keep it short, you know, under you know one or two minutes, and we'll play it on the podcast for sure. Now, you can find all of our episodes, including our back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis, and those are at the site horrormoviepodcast.com. And of course, you can subscribe free in iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And um, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, that would really help this show. I also want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. And you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And I'll have it linked in the show notes. And you can find Wolfman Josh on Movie Podcast Weekly with me. And he's also running Movie Streamcast. And you can follow Josh on Twitter at Icarus Arts. And you can find Dr. Shock on dvdandfatuation.com and hear him on Land of the Creeps horror movie podcast with our friends Greg Amortis and Haddonfield Hatchet. And all of these things I just mentioned, once again, will be linked in the show notes for episode four. And um, I think that's about it for episode four. So thank you for listening and join us again in two weeks for our Christmas episode of Horror Movie Podcast. 
real listeners, real comments, real horror podcasting.